This is Andrew McLean, creator of Headlopper and Apocalyptic Girl. You are listening to 11 O'Clock Comics. It's Wednesday. <laughs> it will be when this goes live. Truth. Kind of disappointed this week. Why? Did you get anything new? No. Maybe we'll talk about it later. Oh, but I didn't see it. Oh. I highly, I highly anticipated something, and it turned out to be a big old piece my, of cookie. My, my brother liked it. Um, I've heard, I've heard people who did and people who didn't. So. You know, I, you had you had one job. <laughs> well, you had you what just, I'm, what just I'm hooked seeing, me. What I'm seeing is, is some of the people who did enjoy it have um, kind of felt as though that the people who didn't like it um, that they need time to build it up. That this is you know because you don't you don't have time. You don't have time. Why, you have one shot. Why, why? It's it's an hour and a half. The first episode is ninety minutes. I know. Give give or take the time for the commercials. You can't rope me in in ninety minutes. You failed. There are many 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 other things out there to watch. If you can't get me, you like I'm the done. strain. The strain kills it every episode. But you don't watch it this week. Well, because I devoted my time to this thing. To which I'm, I'm, I I'm remor- I have, yet, so. I have much remorse. But I'm just saying, there are many things. Jason, everybody knows there are many things competing with our our um, leisure time. I think our this- guest will even mention that. He does. He does. How do you know? It's like it already happened. I think he'll mention it. I said. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm physically psychic. He's super I think Yap is. He's Karnak. Have the envelope up to my head and everything. You're amazing. I always said that about you. You are amazing. You're adorable. I am. Who are you, though? Who am I? Who is... What is this? What is this? this? Why you do this? <laughs> Faith no more. Why this you is 11 O'Clock Comics, episode 383. Jeebus. Yes. Climbing up there. And I... Am, wouldn't it be cool... If episode 400 coincides with the 11 o'clock, because I don't know how it's going to work out. Actually, I think Jason and I talked about that when uh, they're in your sabbatical a couple of weeks ago. But yeah, um, it would that, be really neat. That would be really I, neat. I don't. I'm not good at math, but I am. Finspe, <laughs> you are. You are Finspe, and and all this talk about how long we've been going and how many years it's been. And I'm. It's. I, I guess we're good with that whole seven year rich thing. So we're we're. I'm 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 David A. Price. No, we're in it for the long haul. At least I am. I can't speak to you two knuckleheads. Well, that's, but that's nice. It, it's good to have a change. I, I, I'll do it. Oh, the pain. Hang <laughs> right Dave. Uh, we're missing somebody though. We got uh, who's uh, who's over there sitting in the third seat. Oh yeah, I just popped back in. I'm everyone's favorite anarchist, Grant McKay. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're not. You're the delectable Jason Wood, everybody. What's up? And you don't have to shit on the system to get great comics <laughs> for cheap. All you have to do is shimmy on over to Discount Comic Book Service, DCBService.com, where you can reap massive discounts on your favorite funny books and collectibles, such as, now, 
Mark my words, this is the last time you're going to hear these specials because they will soon cycle over into new specials from Image. Our buddy Scotty Young, he's fantastic. Everybody thinks so because he is. I hate Fairyland number one. Regular price is $3.50. But if you are a member of the Discount Comic Book Service subscriber base, you can get this for $1.75. That's 50% off. You will find it cheaper nowhere else. From IDW, Walt Simonson is going back to the Anvil yet again. It's Ragnarok Hardcover, Hardcover, Volume 1, Last God Standing, $24.99 cover price, but you can add it to your library for a paltry sum of $12.49. That's 50% off. It's incredible. And last but not least, goodbye. From Archie, it's the Black Hood Trade Paperback Volume 1, Bullets Kiss. It's a mature reader's title, which is really cool coming out of Archie. They've been doing that lately and having great success at it. Uh, the regular price is $14.99. Your price? David, what do you think it is? Uh, I'm going to say $7.49. Yes, exactly. $7.49. DCB service does not mind late orders. They do not mind order additions. And they are the absolute best in the business. DCBService.com. But wait. There's more. We have another, we have another sponsor this episode. What? Is this crazy or not? Double dipping. Seriously, any one of you who has been reading comics for even the shortest amount of time knows these things tend to build up and very quickly. Um, that little stack you start with soon amasses into two boxes, 10 boxes, 25 boxes. I mean, we tend to attract paper like some kind of bug that would attract paper. Um, and how do you make sense of your collection? How do you do it? I have the answer. Well, it's not it's not making your own database because we never got that no. off the ground. Who the, who the <laughs> hell wants to make their own database? Speaking of base, it's comic base. I've been using this program for at least a decade. Nice. And it is it is the the one thing that makes sense of my room full of paper. I can fire up Comic Base and do a little search and I know exactly what I own and what box it's in and where I go to get it. It is amazing. And Comic Base is offering you the first time Comic Base user a very special perk. Should you decide to to check out this software, you can now deduct 15% from your purchase with this following code. ComicBase11. The first part is the application, ComicBase. The second part is 11 o'clock comics. That's awesome. Look at us. Yes. And it comes in a variety of flavors. You can try Comic Break, Comic, oh my goodness, I am like losing it tonight. You can try Comic Base Express, which is a very reasonable price, um, which has a database of over 620,000 comics. Chances are very good that the comic you're looking for is in there. Tracks collections of any size. And what the cool thing about Comic Base is, it automatically calculates your collection's value. You want to see how much your books are worth based on current market prices? Comic Base will do that for you. If you're going through Comic Base and you decide 
Oh my goodness, I didn't know I was missing that issue. Well, let me click oh on goodness. it. And it takes you over to Atomic Avenue and you have the option to buy it from a number of sellers. And let me tell you, you're going to pay less than you would at Mile High. Guaranteed. Even better, when you buy a version of Comic Base, it includes a year, that's 365 days, of free weekly price and issue updates. I always look for every, I, I log in on Thursdays in my Comic Base to put in my books and without fail, a new issue update is available. You download all the issues that came out the previous week with the cover art. That's really important because I, I don't remember issue numbers. I look for cover art. Mm-hmm. And it will add them to your database, and you are up to date. Comic Base is flat out awesome. And one of the things we pride ourselves on here, uh, one of the few things we pride ourselves on at 11 o'clock comics is we will not promote something that we have not used, that we do not have experience with, that we do not know is the bee's knees. DCB service, the bee's knees. Comic base is also the bee's knees. It will, it will serve you very well. So go to comicbase.com and use that, that code comicbase11 and get yourself some discount on an awesome, awesome program. Do it. That is awesome. Yeah. I love comic base. You do. You know that. I I've do. been talking about Yeah, yeah. It's nothing new. I've been using it for a long, long time. Back when it came on three and a half inch floppies and I had to sit there for like two hours installing the damn thing. <laughs> right. It's a lot easier. It's a lot easier. I love modems to download your, your cover art. For real. Yep. For really but, dope. Uh, it, it's extensive. You, you get, you can either download the program that way or you can get the physical version it comes on like three dvds there is so much content to this thing and it's not just comics and covers there's videos on here with creators it's amazing comicbase.com nice not the last you're gonna hear about it what are y'all drinking oh man what are you drinking well since we have a guest this episode i thought let's do it up in primo fashion i am drinking the um Flying Dog, Raging Bitch, again. I'm almost done with the case. Hmm. I love right. it. What flavor cells are you drinking tonight, Bo? Dude, how, you know, you can't just pigeonhole me. Nobody puts baby in a corner, David. <laughs> oh, God, I hate that movie. You know what I'm saying? Uh, what is oh, it? I hate it. Stop it. <laughs> Lemon lime. <laughs> So baby is in the corner. Respect, respect. <laughs> she was she was drop dead sexy then. Nah, she, what? she was cute in yeah, Ferris no, Bueller though. She was cute in Ferris Bueller. No, she she. Oh, I don't know about that, but I think she was sexy in Dirty Dancing. I don't like the movie at all, but I think she was very attractive in that. Mm. Pick us up, David. What are you drinking? Uh, I am enjoying some lovely Redwood Creek Merlot. Merlot. Oh, yes. Suka, suka. So do we want to tease him or do we want to just launch him into our, well, our interview? Because it's a damn good one. It is. Can I give a little shout out real quick? Hell Can yeah. You, you have to ask. Well, I just, uh, our, our good buddy and, uh, uh, and, and awesome creator and, and sometimes guest of our show, Mr. Ryan Brownie oh, has launched yes. a, Another Kickstarter campaign for uh, for Blast Furnace, 
For those of you with long memories, this is in fact the second Blast Furnace Kickstarter campaign. No doubt many of you backed it the first time, as did I. So what's different this time? Well, the first one was, I think, like 130 pages of black and white. This is 280 plus pages of full color Blast Furnace goodness. What is Blast Furnace? Blast Furnace is basically Ryan's stream of consciousness comic. It's an improv comic. He draws, he takes one hour to draw a page with no preconception about what he's going to draw until he sits down. So it's free form madness. And if you are at all familiar with Ryan's work, uh, most notably from God's, God hates astronauts, you know, he is an insanely creative guy. And so, um, if I tried to do this, it would be boring as fuck. But when someone with his creative chops does it, it is brilliance on the page. So he, uh, he started a, a campaign, I think yesterday or yeah, it was yep. yesterday, right? Yep. Monday. Yep. And it's, it's fully funded in less than a day, which is awesome. I think like almost like eight hours or so. And, but yes. Yeah, that's right. And if you're sitting here listening saying, well, if it's already fully funded, why are you telling me? Because it's not over. And the awesome thing about Kickstarters is once something gets fully funded, it's time for stretch goals. And the Ryan's perks. already well, yes, he is elbow deep in the unlocking of the stretch goals, which include better cover, signing and numbering, sketches, all sorts of goodness. Um, I think you actually get a piece of Mike Norton's scrotum, too. I think you do. Blast, that would be the awesome. The star of Blast Furnace, as you no doubt are alluding, looks very much like Mr. Norton. Uh, <laughs> Which is why he was used in the video. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's, it's a terrific, fun series. I mean, everything I would back anything Ryan did, but this is a blast. And um, no, no, no pun intended. And uh, you can head on over to Kickstarter and give a search in comics for Blast Furnace, or you can look under Ryan's name, and you will see it. But there's tons of different tiers, yeah. uh, and I can speak from personal experience having backed the prior Blast Furnace as well as GHA, that uh, Ryan is a Kickstarter-savvy veteran, so he will get the books to you quickly in great shape. You won't be, you won't be funding this and then waiting for three years for it to come out like the coolest cooler. So... By all means, <laughs> check out the Blast Furnace. Yes. Oh, man, we're talking check, about that this weekend. So. Check out yes. Blast Furnace uh, at your, at your early say Sullivan Sluggers, yeah. but okay. Uh, you know, that's kind of difficult. Well, it, actually, it's kind of a, really hard to do what he's doing, to come in clean on a page every single day. Right, right. Because, because the mind wanders. When you're a creative individual, once you're finished with a piece of work, you want to go on to the next one and, and, and you, you postulate, what can I do? How can I possibly make it better than the f- one that came before? What can I do to make it more revolutionary? It's hard to come in clean and he does it uh, on every single one. I believe and the, this is, I believe this volume is, is subtitled so fresh and so clean. There you go. So there you have it. So give, give, uh, give Ryan your support and, uh, always give Ryan yeah, your support. Absolutely. He's a good guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He is. David, what were you going to say before Jason tromped all over you? No, uh, <laughs> no, it was, I mean, he's, he's right about the, the coolest cooler. I mean, judging by my number, I should get it slightly, shortly after my birthday, but the, uh, this year. And, um, but I, I thought Jason was going to go down the Sullivan Slugger route, but, uh, yeah. Oh. No, at least, at, at, the coolest is is definitely more topical and 
a fresher wound. So uh, it's kudos for that pick. I mean, yeah. One thing that man accomplished with that Kickstarter is that he pretty much guaranteed that I would never support anything he's he's done uh after yeah solve the slippers yeah. not the artist not the, not yes. still the writer. not still yeah. for the writer right? no yeah. the writer um, i'm i'm done with him and and i i mean obviously i i'm i am backing blast furnace this and i have i still have about 28 days to decide and and once something's back then they send you out the uh, the email about you know your shipping address and if there's if you want to add anything to your 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 order um this may and only because I might get something else. This may be the first Ryan Brown created project that I do not get a t-shirt along with the product. Oh, that's true. You have a bunch of them. Yeah. I have, I have the blast furnace t-shirt. I have one from, I, I picked one of the, one of the few you get to choose from, from God hates astronauts. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. I need to see. Although there is, um, he did, uh, but yeah, I do a quick little poll on Facebook about he had like four different colors. Uh so I don't know. I, I have time to to weigh it, but Lord knows I got plenty of t shirts. I'm telling you, the Mike Norton scrotum thing, that's a winner. They should do something like that. And he's a big guy, I'm sure he's got plenty to I'm, go around. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. He's probably got a lot of scrotum. Yeah. <laughs> so they could yeah. The, uh, Kickstarter is not um beloved with my family right now. No, because of the cool. Um, because I I bought into that what? Oh, because the repeater. I, I bought <laughs> I bought into the range extender. Did the, you ask the, the, you got the cooler? The queef. I didn't get that. The the queef. Uh, <laughs> range range extender, and and it was supposed to be here in August, and they're like, Dad, it's not August. We don't have any internet upstairs. I'm like, I'm waiting on the Kickstarter. Now my wife, as soon as I say Kickstarter, it's like I said the devil mm-hmm. you know satan she hates it yeah you know well, what, look, what does I mean, she know though i think the important takeaway here though is again that uh that you don't have to worry about that with ryan's kickstarter because no of course he's not. done a bunch of them and always delivered right but that damn cooler dude i thought i was going to be rocking that thing last summer <laughs> then this summer came and went make it cooler how hard is it to make you- it cooler that's what you get. But did you read the last update? Because they have to, instead of making all the greens and all the blues and all the oranges, they're, they're doing it in batches so that if, if you, if you backed before me and you got a green and I backed after you and I got a blue, he's not going to make all the blues because why am I getting mine before yours? So he's, they, they, they produce a bunch and then they cool down the, the, the equipment so that they can get rid of all the plastic and then put in the next batch of color and do that for a few days or a week. And then, so they're doing it like that. And, um, and if you live in Portland, you actually get yours, I think last weekend or this coming weekend, but yeah, they're, they're having a launch party. And if you're in the area, you can actually pick yours up, you bastard. But the, uh, Just jank. um, but yeah, he, he, they, they broke down. They're trying to get like the first 10,000 or so or 12,000. Um, out by the end of August, beginning of September, and then like from that to the next forty thousand or so, they're trying to get to everybody uh, in September. It's coming from China, and God knows if if there's a typhoon or fucking labor strike, you know, all these little things can interrupt process, yeah. and and so it's yes, it is, I, it is, but at least you know, I mean, if if you have to look. At the bright side, at least once you have it, 
you have it. It's it's not. But yes, if there were plans for this summer, you're A is A. I think Mr. Brownie has another career in the making where he can make a lot of money writing the book on how to f- do a successful kick- you know, some, Kickstarter. Someone should have a panel at a convention about Kickstarter. They should. Somebody good. Somebody good should do it. <laughs> I would love You're to right sit about down that. And that. Not some hack. Seriously. But we some uh, writing novels also on it that we do not know personally. And Mike Norton squirt them. Anyway, we have a very big surprise for you. We have an interview with somebody really important, really good in the comic book industry. And we would like you to um, sit yourself down, grab a beverage maybe, uh, kick your feet up, and listen to what I think is one of our best interviews. And it's coming. Right now. Right now. Right now. Now. So you, you go do that now. and when you're, when you're done, Three, two, we'll now. be, we'll go. Now. stop. We will be Ready, here waiting right for you. And oh my goodness. Let's play. Do it. You're terrible. It. Now. Stop. We'll be waiting no, don't for stop. you. Stop. Play. Go. Do it. And do it. Now. Take three. So we have a very special guest tonight. Uh, one that, uh, we were racking our brains knowing that he was going to join us because I could have sworn he, he was on the show years ago. Um, but uh, we, we went through the 11 Oak archives, and uh, he wow. has never been on the show. I think what I was remembering is that he was a frequent guest on Around Comics uh, with our former co-host and buddy Chris Neesman. Uh And we've known him for a long time, but uh, this is his first time appearing in the fourth seat. He is absolutely one of our favorite creators in the business, and uh, I would dare say having quite a creator-owned renaissance at this uh, very moment, which is part of what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, you can currently find him, <clears throat> excuse me, absolutely dominating the image comics landscape with uh, Black Science, Deadly Class, Low, and the soon-to-be-released Tokyo Ghost. You big two fans may also know him from his work on the incomparable Uncanny X-Force, which led into Uncanny Avengers, or more recently, the all-new Captain America with my boy Sam Wilson. And of course, if you know me at all, you know that my one of my favorite works of all time is also his, his brainchild, and arguably probably his first love, which is, of course, Fear Agent. Let's all please welcome to the show, after an eight-year wait, Mr. Rick Remender. Yay. Yay. I wanted to add one to that. Strange Girl? Go on. No, well, yeah, I would add Strange Girl, but the the man who brought Nunsuck to comics. Yes, Crawl Space, and Triple, triple X, X, yes. Triple X <laughs> Zombies, <laughs> my, my favorite work of his. <laughs> the, an exercise in in what's the most offensive thing we can do. <laughs> That's well, <good> Nunsuck. <laughs> you're playing to my strengths. Uh, that, one, so. that was well, a lot of fun. That really was, Kieran, Kieran and Tony and I just going, okay, this seems kind of offensive, but what could we do to make it utterly offensive? Yeah. Well, welcome Good to the job. show, Rick. Uh, like I said, okay. I, I I really uh, can't believe we've never had you on before. So it's it was awesome to have uh, sort of Cat reach out and uh, and make all this happen. So uh, yeah, yeah, I'm well. excited to to be on the show. I uh, I've been getting over uh, my third lung infection of the year thanks to my two kids starting school this year. So hopefully I won't I won't hack up a lung while we're talking. Yeah, no or maybe worries. that would make the show even more memorable. Oh, well, that's the one we remember died. You know, we're, we're, we're freeform roundtable conversation, so we've had everything from, um, and I'll, I'll own this, we, I've urinated on the air before, I'm sure we've had some, uh, 
some other sure. measures of, of, of just so of, you know of, what you're getting yourself. Into. Yeah, so you know, you never know. You never know, Rick. Well, half the time, you know, yeah, when you're, when you're like 15, 20 minutes into a podcast, I've often been, I mean, often peed into a sink while, while talking because you can't exactly. interrupt the flow of things. Uh, so if you listen to a number of my, my former, uh, interviews, if you listen in around minute 20, you'll hear, you hear a trickle of water. In the nice. nice. Well, so, so listen, um, we, we were joking before you got on, uh, we could between us spend four hours talking about, uh, Fear Agent and Frankencastle by itself. So, <laughs> um, before we get off onto all measure of tangents, um, you know, we, we really want to obviously give due time to, um, you know, what's going on with you and, and your, your, your full long awaited deep dive into creator owned comics. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a long time coming, having known you for a long time and you, know, you really got your start obviously doing creator owned and then you, you went to, to Marvel and had an awesome career and, and now you're, you've taken the leap back into just, doing your own stuff for at least the next year or so. So first of yeah. all, congratulations. Thank you. Um, second of all, um, you know, why don't you talk a bit, you know, you, you, you're very open uh, about uh, what's on your mind. You, you write in the back of all of your comics, very open ended sort of letters, commentary and the like, and, and you wrote a bit of an essay about your decision to do this. So um, I think it would be helpful for our listeners that, that aren't as familiar with your work to maybe just talk a bit about the, the decision to finally take the leap and, uh, and how you're feeling about it a couple, you know, I guess a month or two into the official process. Sure. Um, well, you know, my career, I, I started making comic books in 1997. And at the time, I was a, uh, an animation assistant at uh, 20th Century Fox. And, um, you know, me and a couple of friends there would, uh, we, we would just get so tired of, of incrementally moving lines closer to our graves <laughs> that we decided to start spending our evenings making absurdist humor books. And we would listen to Frank Zappa and, and you know, make, make characters like, uh, Captain Dingleberry and Sir Richard Pumpeloaf and sort of nonsensical fun things like that. And, um, I caught a bug and it was a, a real sickness in, in my love for making comic books then. And so as the years went on, uh, uh, I eventually quit that job to go off and make, make Captain Dingleberry and Blackheart Billy a full-time thing. It was the first time I, I was 25, and I was like, you know, I'm going to do this, and, um, and immediately fell into poverty. <laughs> and and, and, and it, wasn't, it was like literally I walked out of 20th Century Fox, and, and I said, all right, see you later, suck down, and then I walked right into a gutter. Um, but the... Uh, uh, the purity of intention and the creative energy from taking something uh, out of thin air and, 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 and creating it and putting it into the world is highly addictive. And so over the years, I would continue to make uh, my own comic books while I was doing things like working at Electronic Arts as a storyboard artist or writing video games like Dead Space or you know animating on the Iron Giant and Rocky and Bullwinkle and directing animation for Wild Brain and all these other jobs that were, would have been great jobs if I had just stuck to them and been been you know um <laughs> content but comic books had their had their teeth in me and so i continued to to create uh, you know create our own books as i as i as i went and um even when they made no money i just had to keep doing it, it just once you start doing it it's just such a blast um 2007 2008 um that led to um to work offers starting to come in and um, and I was also chasing those down a little bit because uh, we were we were getting ready to buy a house and, and to start the procreation process, which mm -hmm. 
kicks the nesting into overdrive, and all of a sudden there's a, I'm just a primate who is listening to his own, you know, biological prerogative and making no, no decisions on my own. It was just, you know, there are babies, you must have house, and you must provide dentist. <laughs> and so um, I ended up going uh, to D.C. for a little while, and then uh, Axel Alonso brought me in over at Marvel, and... Um, and it was, uh, you know, it was a really great experience. A lot of it was being trained to write in ways that I hadn't before. And, um, you know, Axel's a, a great editor, and he was, you know, at the time still line editing and hands-on and taught me a lot of stuff. Um, and so for, you know, those early years, I think, uh, were, you know, the most creatively, um, you know, um, exciting for me because I was still on books that Marvel was like, you know, we're talking about 2009, 2010, you know, it was like Venom, X-Force, and The Punisher, Right. They they right. they didn't have a lot to lose at that point, you know. Um, Doctor Voodoo and, too, right? If I'm not mistaken. And Doctor Voodoo, Brother, right? Yeah. Voodoo, I mean, yeah. which yeah. which was a character I you know uh, I had turned into the Sorcerer Supreme in my first Marvel work in a What If yeah. issue, and I'd always wanted mm-hmm. to do that so badly. And so I had these, you know, and I turned down Deadpool to do Doctor Voodoo, and I just wanted, you know, those were the kind of books that I was just, you know, I, I was excited about them, and, and they were a lot of, you know, low-selling kind of 90s relics in terms of the titles, but that enabled me to do Frankencastle and to do the Dark Angel saga and to, you know, take the Flash Thompson Venom and try to make it something just dripping with pathos as this guy was dealing with the passing of his father and, and his addiction to the symbiote. And did, you know, uh, do a lot of kind of weird stuff there. And so, um, you know, as the time progressed at Marvel and I ended up in Tom's office working on the Avengers stuff and I had a lot of fun on that. Um, it was during the, the, the course of that that I had, you know, around 2011, 2012, I had stopped doing a lot of creator-owned books. And by 2013, I, I, I had kind of gone crazy because while making the Marvel books is incredibly fulfilling and fun, it's not that same itch. It's not that same... I had an idea, I talked to an artist about it, and we created it out of thin air, and here it is, right. we own it. Um, right. It's just, a, it's, it's a very different thing. It's, it, and so, um, in 2013, I started developing Tokyo Ghost, logos back to 2010, actually, um, and Black Science and Deadly Class. And the same way in 2005, I developed Nightmare and Sea of Red and Fear Agent and Strange Girl and, and a number of other books, uh, Last Days of American Crime, 2013 was a very prolific period for me for just developing whole cloth new ideas, which is dangerous because then it means, shit, I've got to now spend the next five to ten years creating these books. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it's the wonderful hell of, you know, nothing standing between you and doing what you want. Um, and so as I started developing these and doing the Marvel thing at the same time, I was, I was feeling pretty tired and it was just a lot of work. Um, and we, uh, there's some health issues in my family that de- demand a lot more time. And so um, wanting to be present for my kids and wanting to be present to help out with, with what's going on with my folks, I, I had to make a decision. And so, you know, the creator-owned stuff is, it's not as time-consuming in terms of planning because I don't have to make sure my book lines up with, you know, seven other books and I don't have to make sure that the universe is taken into consideration. Um, I have my own plans on, and I don't have to run them by anybody and, and there's no, you know, editorial requests or things that I have to do that, that throw me off for a few days. And so time constraint-wise and, um, you know, just the, the purely creative, um, you know, and the fulfillment uh, of the uh, creating the, these books uh, led me to just make the, the hard leap and, uh, and to walk away. And, you know, there's no hard feelings. Marvel were super cool. They were offering me their two top flagships, and they were, you know, paying me well. And it was... It was a really great and wonderful job, but ultimately I, I had to make this decision, I think, from my, 
for my sanity and, and just to make sure that I was uh, you know, present and available for my family during, during a pretty tough time. Sure. Well, you know, again, I, I guess we feel, I feel like we know your story really well because of how often you were on, around comics, which is, you know, was, was, uh, Chris Neeson was one, was our, one of our original co-hosts and obviously was on AC. And, you know, it, it, the thing that I guess it strikes us because we've been doing this show for eight years is just probably the, the thing that's changed the most, right? Is, is the, the landscape of the creator owned comic where I think it's fair to say when we started the show and when you were, making the transition to Marvel, you know, via DC into big two primarily, um, you know, it was, it was creator and comics were a labor of love and, and very few, you know, with very few exceptions, perhaps most notably walking dead, they, they weren't something that could generate enough income, you know, absent some kind of media, you know, buyout or option to, right. to really sort of, 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 like you said, be able to put food on the table and a roof over, you know, your wife and, and kids, so uh, it must be pretty exciting for you since you lived through a period of creator-owned comics when the economics weren't ideal to be at a point now where there are a ton of awesome creators, yourself included, that really have the opportunity to make, you know, not just a living, but a pretty decent living doing your own stuff. I mean, it, that's got to be fairly exciting. It's it's beyond exciting. It's something that I, I really had given up hope on, you know, having mm-hmm. having done these, these books, like I said, starting in 97 and, and you know... Um, and doing it all the way, and you know, I think Fear Agent wrapped up in 2011, and then I took a oh, couple years me. off. You know, um, that's it's it's you know, it's almost 15 years of just desperately trying to make you know books like Strange Girl, where we would have a, a, you know a, a strong, interesting female lead based on actual actual you know girls I grew up with that were you know it was a it was a book that was you know peppered with some theological questions while still doing something that in the industry in 2004, 2005, when we launched Strange Girl, the majority of female characters, it was, you know, blood, blood blade witch dick and, you know, it was bio-armored H.R. Giger style, you know, booby comic books and, and you know, to try and, and, and you know, to do that stuff and and to see it continuously kind of fizzle out in terms of sales and you know some of that stuff is going to pay dividends now like Nightmare, which is another um, um, female lead book that I did with Kieran Dwyer in 2004-2005 has been picked up by uh, NBC Universal and we just got this, the, the script in and that, that's hopefully going to become a television show oh so, congratulations I didn't realize that uh, thank you yeah so some of the stuff is you know is now paying dividends but at the time it was boy it was a kick in the teeth because you knew comic books needed diversity you knew comic books needed to bring in other people and we were just grinding trying to create interesting new comic books that were uh, accessible to other people but the audience just wasn't there yet and mm-hmm. um i think that the um that the landscape that we're looking at now is here to stay and you know there's a huge population of people who read exclusively creator owned comic books Right. I find that there there is definitely a crossover between my Marvel and my Image books, but it's not nearly as much as I as I thought. Like when I'm doing convention uh, circuit stuff and I'm at, at, at signing tables, the amount of uh, there is a there's a divide. People don't come up with a pile of Black Science Fear Agent and you know um, uh, Captain America or Secret Avengers. 
most of them come with their Marvel books or they come with Creator Own. And I think that hopefully that those lines will blur and eventually more and more people from each side will, will read other kinds of comic books. And I, I think that that will definitely happen more and more. But um, there, is, there is a whole new and, and, and dedicated audience that want to read comic books that m- maybe aren't interested in superhero books. Um, and so to finally be in a situation where a book like Low, which is this, you know, very strange European science fiction book that, um, you know, I, I, I try to bleed into and fill with heart, um, that book wouldn't have survived 10 years. Right. It sold like 40,000 trades in five months or something, you know, uh, and, and that, that is a different audience. That's those 40,000 trades. I mean, I would, uh, I would wager half of them are bookstore sales and half of them are online store sales and else, you know, places other than the local comic book shop. Sure. Um, and so we are seeing a very, very uh, exciting period in, in, in terms of the, the industry where all kinds of people want all kinds of comic books. All right. Well, that's one of the many things about you that amazes me is that you make it incredibly easy for someone to become a fan of yours because you don't restrict yourself to one particular or two genres. You, you work all over the place, whether you're doing superhero books with Marvel or um, sci-fi, or my favorite genre in which you work is horror. I, I think um, Sea of Red is incredible, and that, that's one of the books that first attracted me to you. But you make it, what I'm saying is you make it easy to get into the Rick Remender world because you work in so many different areas where, you know, you're attracting <laughs> sci-fi people and, and horror people, and you do it all really well. Uh, that's super nice of you to say. I um I, I have creative ADD, and I never, uh-huh. you know, while while I do end up, a lot of my ideas uh, end up falling into the science fiction category, and I think superheroes also fall into the science fiction category. Um, uh, I, I love horror, and I think that even when I'm writing other genres, you know, people will be like, oh, my God, it turned into a horror story. And I'm like, yeah, you know what the cool thing about um, peppering horror into something that's that's crime or science fiction is that you don't expect it. You go into a horror movie you know shit's going to go really sour <laughs> for some of the people you're looking at. And so the expectation is always like, okay, you know, who's going to get it first? Um, but the joy of peppering horror into the other books, which has enabled me to, you know, kind of have my cake and eat it too, you're never expecting the Red Skull to pull out Charles Xavier's brain in, in an Avengers <laughs> comic. Uh, that's not where that's going to go, and but but that's the wonderful thing about peppering kind of schlocky B horror into something like that, um, and so it keeps me excited. You know, it keeps me excited because you know I don't just love one genre. I'm not a person. I don't imagine many people are. You know, like I only watch crime. <laughs> you know, right. genre, you know. So people who only work in one thing, I think. Um, they definitely, you know, there's people who do it incredibly well. You see somebody like Stephen King, but also when when he when he when he drifts, when when King goes off and does, you know, uh, Green Mile or Stand by Me or one of these personal stories, there's little there's definitely supernatural and horror elements peppered in there. But it's at its at its core, it's a it's a human story. It's it's about character, and um, I like to drift. So I, I I'm it's nice to hear when people respond to that and. Um, I do have a horror idea I'm working on right now, but in, in the meantime, I'm just going to keep surprising people by, by peppering that stuff. I think the new arc of Lowe has some very horror, uh, some, some, some love letters to some things I like in horror as well. But Just read issue number nine 
uh, today in the uh, anticipation of talking to you. So, oh, cool. Excellent. Yeah, that uh, that team of Greg Tokini and Dave McCaig, man, those pages are wee good. Yeah, so, so you mentioned Greg Tokini. I mean, one thing about you um, is that uh, I'm going to give it give you credit and say it's by design, but uh, but whether it's it's a little bit of luck too. You have had an incredible knack to find the right uh, illustrative partner for your works. For real, yeah. right? I mean. You know, obviously, as you know, huge, huge Fury Agent fan. Uh, I mentioned to you just the other day, I, I bought one of Tony's pages, but, you know, you got Tony, Jerome, and Mike on Fear Agent, right? Um, you know, mm-hmm. then, I mean, you look at, you know, you did, I think, Last Days of American Crime, I think was the first time you worked with Greg. But, yeah. I mean, his 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 brushwork is just ridiculous. And, you know, it seems like with every project, uh, you know, I, I I'm, Mateo Scalera is one of my favorite living artists uh, he's killing it on black science. You know, yeah. Wes is yeah. killing it on deadly class and each one has their own distinct style. So two questions. One, are you just really lucky? Um, if not, is it just, you know, that you have, you have a great eye for it or, and two, um, you know, have you sought or sort of geared the specific project to, you know, an artistic partner? Um, or, you know, has, has it been a mix of that or has every project kind of gone and rethinking, you know, this, this buddy of mine or this person would be perfect for this project? Yeah, it's a little, I mean, everyone is different. You know, something like Fear Agent, um, Tony and I cooked it up whole cloth together. Um, you know, something like, like Sea of Red, Kieran Dwyer and I cooked it up whole cloth together. Um, Strange Girl, I cooked up, and then um, Corey Walker was originally the artist on that, and then yeah. when he pulled out, I got Eric Nguyen in. Um, so, you know, uh, and then it has a very, uh, you know, very different feel. Jerome Pena did a little strange girl and then Nick Stackel and Peter Bergting and the thing just kind of evolves with the art teams and cha- as it changes. But each one of these things is, is really different in its genesis. Um, Last Days of American Crime I cooked up in 2002, uh, with the intention of drawing it myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just never got around to it. And then 2004 or 5 I really developed it and by 2009 I was in production on it. Um, the End League and Gigantic were, were books I'd cooked up prior to artists. Um, and then on, on like the current batch, Deadly Class um, was originally something um, that I, I didn't know who you know could draw it. Tony Moore had had you know circled the you know the project for a little while, and and ultimately uh, you know Wes was uh, I couldn't imagine doing it with anybody else. So few people can tell the kind of story that Wes can and to capture. Uh, the era and to capture the scenes that are uh, in, in, sort of hit upon, only a very specific kind of artist can do. And so I got incredibly lucky with with Wes. That's a perfect um, fit. He's just it, it, uh, it's a pleasure, and he's one of the sweetest, most wonderful human beings in the world. I just love working with him. Um, and then for Black Science, um, there was a point where Mateo and I were going to relaunch Fear Agent, um, and then it became clear to me that. Um, I stuck a landing that I like in Fear Agent, and, and it's okay to just let the book be done. It's okay. All right, Rick, calm down. You know. Yeah. And so, um, Matteo and I did Black Science, and Greg and I, after finishing uh, Last Days of American Crime, started talking about wanting to do something um, very uh, science fiction oriented. And so I developed uh, I developed Low for Greg, and, and then Greg would send me a design, and I would incorporate that into the story. And we, he 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 doesn't speak great English; he speaks Portuguese. And so we communicate through art, and he sends a design, and he goes, you know, look at this design, and I go, yeah, this, that'll be here, and I'll work it into the script. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they're all very intensely co- collaborative. And in terms of Tokyo Ghost, 
it is, it, I, I had no idea. It's entirely, you know, I had, a, I had the bare bones of a plot. And uh, Sean and I started talking about it. And we developed this book for a year before even starting the first script. And we would talk on the phone, you know, and, and Sean and I are pals. And we became, you know, really close friends even, you know, over the course of developing this in 2013. Um, and so this book is just entirely the two of us uh, uh, cooked up from the ground. Um, and, you know, as for the artists that I have, I think I'm very fortunate in that, you know, I have a, you know, I'm an artist myself, and I spent, uh, you know, I spent 15 years paying the bills as a storyboard artist and teaching comic books at the Academy of Art in San Francisco and drawing and inking and, and animating. And, and so I know a lot of uh, really wonderful artists, and I, I sort of know what to look for, at least what's going to speak to my sensibility. Um, very important, because there's a lot of great artists out there that I don't think I would be a fit with. And people mm-hmm. who, sensibility-wise, it would be, it would be, uh, you know, wonderful, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily fit what I'm, what I'm doing. And I like very much to be close with the artists and to talk and to have fun. And that's the reason that we didn't all go into accounting, is so that we can be, joyfully participate in the creation of something. Absolutely. And to at the end of it, um, it's it's ours, and it's up to us what happens to it, and it's up to us how it's translated into other media and. And to, you know, um, to do that, I think that there's a mandatory uh, uh, respect, friendship that has to be there. And so that's what I also look for. Most of the people that I do create our own work with, we've already, you know, Mateo and I, I requested uh, to have Mateo come in after Gabe on Secret Avengers. And so mm-hmm. we got a chance to work together for a while at Marvel. Um, and, I, and he's fast and amazing and, and a, a, a joy as a human. And we started hanging out at shows. And, you know, I... I I just love Mateo as a person, and so I knew that was going to work out. Um, and so a lot of these things are, are, you know, by the time Fear Agent came out, Tony and I had been pals for seven, eight years and had been cooking on it for two or three years. And it's much the same for Tokyo Ghost and, and, and Black Science and, and Deadly Class and Low and, you know, these other books, which a lot of the time the idea, you know, hits. You start talking about it with these guys and uh, it can be years before it feels developed enough to start putting it into production. Sure. Hmm. Now let's get into Tokyo Ghost a little bit, yeah, if you want. Yeah. Um, judging from this review um, PDF with which we were blessed, you guys are way ahead of the curve. Uh, curve. It looks like Sean is at least three issues in the hole so far. Yeah, a four. Four. He just finished the fourth. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah, we. You know. I was a retailer, and I know the importance that the, of these things shipping. Mm-hmm. And I also where you know Tony and Jerome are are world class best, uh, you know as good as they get. But as we were producing that book, they were bogged down in other commitments, and 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 the book it had a very sporadic shipping schedule. Um, and Mike Hawthorne came in and saved our asses, and you know penciled the last the last arc for for tony to kind of go in and ink the faces and and john lucas who inked a ton of it we had a lot of help and kieran dwyer who penciled two issues for jerome to ink you know we had a lot of people helping but i think that the the shipping on fear agent hurt us and when it was all said and finished those hardcovers came out in the beginning and the middle of the end of the story were all present the hardcovers sold more and these are 50 dollars books than you know the last seven issues of the series combined mm-hmm, um, sure. and, and that's floppies i mean the hardcovers were gangbusters and we were just selling you know huge huge quantities of these things look at mine right now <laughs> um <laughs> but, but it just occurs to me that like we can't we can't successfully create 
create our own comic books and keep this alive if we can't keep the book shipping. And that means you got to start a couple years before you launch. You got to have tight outlines. You got to have an you know an, an editor to help you go over things and make sure it's 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 perfect. You got to have uh, you got to have a number of issues in the can so the artist isn't working behind a, 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 a you know flaming stress ball. Uh, uh, and, and then they can enjoy the creation of the of the pages, and so that's what we've tried to do. You know, we've been picking away at Tokyo Ghost for about a year now, and, um, and we're very fortunate. To, to by the time we launch, we'll be well into issue five, so the book will ship like clockwork. That's amazing. One of the things we've one of the hard lessons we've learned here doing this silly podcast thing is people want what they want when they want it. <laughs> I mean, if if you present them with some kind of a regular schedule. Um, they will, they will come. Well, you're, and, yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, I think the question we probably all get the most about our show is, is, um, you know, how, how, how did you, how did you come up with the show and then how is it so popular? And, and first of all, we had no grand plan. <laughs> and, and, but, but I, I think the honest answer, and, and as much as I'd like to say it's because we're witty and hilarious and knowledgeable and all that good stuff, I think it's genuinely <laughs> yeah, because. I think that's, yeah, it is that. Thank you. That's, you're right. I, I, but I, I, I think the real answer is that, uh, you just hit it, Vince, is that we have never missed a weekly episode in eight years. People are huge. We, it's right. huge. The, so. the consistency of putting out your, 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 your podcast or your comic or your TV show or anything, you can't not do it. It's huge. And there's so much competition for people's attention, you know, sure. that like, oh, yes. It wasn't, you know, and I, I saw that with Fear Agent, like, there's two audiences too. There are the audiences that they want to buy their comic books every Wednesday and they want to have a, a Wednesday night with a, you know, a scotch and a, or, or Coca-Cola or whatever. And they want to sit back and enjoy a pile of comics. And there are people who just want to buy giant collections and read one book. And there are people who will buy trades and there are people who will buy both. But the people who want your, the single comics, they're the people who are keeping the lights on. And so while you are producing your book, Without a, a, a strong single issue base to bring that money in to keep the lights on while you're doing it, you don't get trades. You don't get hardcovers. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that you're right. Your consistency of putting your show out every week is huge. People like become habitual. People like to know that the thing they like is going to be there when it when it's supposed to be there. And when you ship a book two weeks late, you don't think that's a big deal. I think I'm starting to think it's a huge deal. For the single issue reader who then has to wait six weeks before before their chapters or seven weeks or eight weeks, you start to forget what was the last thing you read. And when you do that, then that's you're giving people an exit ramp, and you can go, okay, you can you can stop reading now, and and people will, and you'll lose thousands of readers if that happens. So right. we're doing everything we can to without changing up the the artists or changing anything else. It's the people who own the book and create the book. And that means sometimes taking a couple of months off between arcs so that we can actually catch up and keep the book shipping. But I think that one thing we've been very fortunate with and successful at is all of the books we started production on about a year before they came out. And that enabled us to do things on Deadly Class and Low and Black Science, like those first trades are 150, 160 pages of comic, and it's all for 10 bucks which is the kind of thing you have to deliver. It has to be a huge value in order to grab people's attention and keep it. And um, starting well in advance, I think, really facilitates that. Have, have well, you speaking, ever... I'm sorry. Um, no, you go. The uh, you just, I mean, the whole schedule of things just honed in on that for a second. And I'm I'm trying to think, Has, has have you ever... Has Rick Remender ever 
missed a month in however many years between between your image work between Low or Black Science or Captain America or or the Punisher have has there ever been a month that's gone by where Rick Remender did not have a book out? For how how um, long ago was that? <laughs> that's yeah, that's that's terrifying. If I actually think about that, um, <laughs> I, I do have I, I do have a tendency to fall into some workaholic patterns uh, dealing <laughs> for a lot of different reasons. Um, but no, I think that I've been pretty well on the stands. I mean since probably in 2004 nightmare starts sea of red starts then strange girl then fear agent and then that leads into the end league gigantic uh last days of american crime and then i was at dc and marvel no i think I, I think it's probably been 11 years that i've consistently had at least you know you know at least one book probably four books a month come out fantastic oh, that is incredible but um just to speak to the quality of Tokyo Ghost, even though you're going to nail the schedule, that's not to say that the work itself is cutting any corners. I mean, this is a fully formed world. You, you could tell, or at least I could tell by this first issue that there was a roadmap here. I mean, you guys had this planned out before you even, you know, jumped into it. This, this world is incredibly compelling. Because it's it's so rich and it just looks like even to the the minutia is what gets me like the oh, dude yeah. sitting around with the with the record player uh, and it's just you know where you wanted to start and you know where you're going and it's just you brought it all in this first issue and looking at the the preview images for the next issues I mean it just keeps getting better and better and better it's it, it, I mean what Sean and Matt are doing on the art is as good as it gets in terms of comic book art and agreed. To speak to what you're saying about the story, we have we have we have ten issues figured out, and I think that that um, there's there's you know there's a danger if you're not careful with that, where you know um, if you're not considering the monthly books as their own stories, then it's very difficult to grab new readers. But when you're launching a new series, um, in my mind, you know, by the time you get to issue five of the series, what you saw in issue one, every single thing that happened in issue one is setting in motion things that then play huge, huge roles in the story moving forward. But in but but you'll you, you can never you could never possibly understand what we set up and, and how it's going to pay out in three or four months on, on the later issues. But I think that the um, the overall and the experience is enhanced of, of reading when you know that there's an intention for behind it all and there's a roadmap. Um, you know, I don't. I, I don't like to read something thinking that somebody just kind of did it by the seat of their pants or cooked up a, a new chapter every month. Uh, I want to read something where, uh, you know, I realized that thing that happened four chapters ago that I didn't even consider as important was monumentally important, and you, you get to see the intention of the writer and that there is a, a thought process behind it. And so, that was something I learned to to really do at Marvel and uh, you know, in, in Axel's office. It was like. Something that that I that I thought because I liked to, to have a you know a loose a loose outline and and he wanted to know he wanted to know where your landing is and what you're doing, and that meant front loading a lot of work and I wasn't really used to that but now that I'm used to doing that and front loading the work, I think ultimately what comes out of it is a much better product and um, where we're going when Tokyo goes is is, is it, I hope it does just get better and better. And as much as I love that first issue, the first issue starts off in the aisles of Los Angeles in this 
uh, future in 60, 70 years from now where our addiction to technology has exponentially increased, as it naturally probably will, to the point where everyone is just living in these insular little bubbles of fabricated fantasy realities, uh, avoiding the fact that the oceans have risen and that the, the, the you know, air is toxic and that we're living in a toilet bowl of a world while they're on uh, Twitter arguing about you know, Beyonce's shoes. Oh, I'm sorry, that's today. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, we're already doing that. Um, <laughs> but, the, the, but the point is, is it like what, how much worse is this going to get as it increases where we are all obsessed with triviality and sitting online in a consequence-free environment, um, you know, barking at people and spewing vitriol and um, ultimately distracting ourselves from our lives to where we can't even have dinner with each other without somebody picking up their cell phone to check Instagram or to tweet or to Facebook update or to look at their email. It's like I wake up in the morning. I don't even give myself. I used to wake up. I used to go for a run, make some oatmeal, have some coffee, maybe read a little bit, and then, you know, I'd come downstairs and, and you know, eventually check my email or get to drawing or writing or whatever. I wake up and I grab my cell phone. And I immediately just start dialing in, like, what's going on here? What's going on here? What's going on here? I've got to check this. Oh, I've got to know what's going on there. And uh, the idea was to try to really develop a world where people are so that where we take that to the, its nth degree and exponentially multiply where we're at and get a look at it. Because, A, it's a really, fanta- it's a, it's a really fantastic you know, set piece for, for a world and to develop characters like Constable Led Dent and, and Debbie Decay, who... They work for the entertainment conglomerates that rule the earth. The people who are feeding the content uh, have taken over. And they're like the Pinkertons of this world. And on one hand, you have Led Dent, who is an utter addict and totally distracted from whatever he's doing. And then you have his straight-edge um, girlfriend, sidekick, Debbie Decay, who is um, the, the natural result of addiction, which is a codependent loved one who's holding up the addict. And I loved the idea of developing a codependent, a codependent person who's holding up a tech addict and trying to explore the technological addiction as if it were a heroin addiction. Because in a lot of ways, it might even be worse uh, because it's a socially acceptable addiction that we're all taking part in. So, oh, it's right. brutal. It's brutal. I mean, it sounds like your kids are still relatively young, but but uh, we, we have older kids and, and the, the three of us, and, and it's um, it's 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 a constant battle because you find you find yourself doing it. Like I, I to your point, I, I I get up out of bed, I let the dog out, grab my phone, and see if there's any. You know, I'm in search of some pressing matter, as though you know something yes, happened yes. in the middle of the night. Right, and and right. you know you you forget that, and then at the same point in time, I'm lecturing my kids about no phones at dinner, and realizing that you know that I'm in a way they're they're it's patterned behavior. They're they're seeing me yep. ascribe so much importance to the screen. Um, yep. and to the device and it's, it's a constant battle because they, they, they have created a, 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 a much uh, more convenient life for us all. Um, you know, we all can, I feel like I can, people always say, how do you have time to do everything? And it's, it, I wouldn't be able to do that without the internet and, and, and a smartphone and all that, but it is definitely a very slippery slope. And, and it seems like, you know, with all your work, uh, you know, coming at it again from many different genres, there's always an underpinning of some kind of, um, uh, you know, view on pop culture and, and societal, you know, and societal behavior. It seems like that's definitely something that underpins a lot of your work and you must think about quite a lot. Well, <laughs> excuse me. <clears throat> I, um, 
I want to write about things that are that are intellectually engaging to me while also doing things that that scratch the itch of 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 you know making my own version of the road warrior meets judge dread meets 13 <laughs> assassins or right. my own like you know aquatic science fiction adventure um and ultimately if you're just doing you know uh, survival uh, fight conflict resolution um it's not satisfying to me, you know, like even if it's a great plot, if there's nothing being said about the human condition, if there's no examination of my own life through the characters and through their circumstances, I lose interest very quickly. Once it just becomes, can person save life? Can person save world? Or can person save loved one or acquire MacGuffin? I just can't do it. And, um, I can do it if there's also something that, you know, uh, and not to, you know, make it seem like it's, it's all super poignant or lofty, but as long as there's something to be said, as long as I'm saying something that I find uh, uh, intriguing to examine or expressing my own thoughts on the world that I live in, then I can, I can pepper that into a story like, you know, Fear Agent or, or Strange Girl or, or Deadly Class or Black Science and Tokyo Ghost and... I'm excited to sit down and write it uh, in, in, a, in a different way than I am when it's when it's just uh, when, it, when it's just action adventure, which you know I've done, and ultimately I felt pretty unsatisfied. Dissatisfied. Sure, right. Well, it was exactly the subtext of the first issue that really roped me in, despite the fact that Debbie is very willing to get all down and dirty and nasty right in the middle of the street. I mean, I love that part. <laughs> it was very hot, but. It was super hot, right? I mean, mm-hmm. seriously. But um, the subtext where I don't—I I assumed that you have the same love-hate relationship with the internet as myself and many of us do. Sure. Where, where I mean, the data stream. She's a dirty whore. She's a nasty, filthy, dirty whore, and you feel bad sampling her wares. But she brings candy, and it tastes so good, you know. And I'm thinking, I, I can—I understand this guy. This this led. I mean, he is like me to a point. I mean, I'm not that obsessed, but I need that data. But after the fact, it, it's it's hard to to pull away. It really is. I mean, it's it's heavily addictive, and it and it, it stimulates the brain, and uh, and it's a constant flux. So it's like a hit. You're getting endorphin hits. All the all the parts of your brain that are programmed to listen out for, um, um, you know, snapping twigs outside of the cave to make sure you're alert to protect your family, that shit's all fed the same way a slot machine feeds it by mm-hmm. your, your your twampers and your, your wimpstagrams and your himpstadoomps and your tumblerinos. <laughs> and all of this stuff is constantly sending you notifications like, look, 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 ding, 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 ding. And we all do. We all go, look, and what's going on here? And to the point where, like, I've recognized and I, I've made an effort for the last year or two since really digging into this concept that I don't, I, I keep my phone off and in my pocket when I'm out to dinner or lunch with people. I, I realize how upsetting it is to me to be in the middle of talking and see somebody pull their phone out of their pocket. And now it's right. become socially acceptable. I'm like, no, it's super not. Like, if, if you're talking to me and I pull my phone out and look at it, what am I telling you? That I'm barely listening to you run your fucking mouth at me, and I got to go see what's going on on the line. But people right. do it incessantly, and it's everywhere now. And it went from like this is all new. This is like when did the iPhone come out in 2008, 2009? Oh yeah, it's and so this is this, yep. this is in the last six seven years that we've just lost 
all uh, a concept of you know fight the urge to give in to to looking and it's not that important and you haven't seen the people you're at dinner with for for you know a little while enjoy the evening and then check your phone when you get home because it's all going to still be there and you'll rip through all those emails and all that pressing you know uh, garbage that really isn't all that pressing and it'll be okay, but it's hard. I find it difficult. I reach for it. Sure. I'm like, oh, there's a lull in conversation. I wonder if anybody <laughs> emails art yeah. to me. And I go, no, uh, dum-dum, just, just focus. It is incredibly hard to do, and I noticed it with these two guys right here, where if I'm not on the, the, the Facebook Messenger, like, a good part of the day, they're like, "What's the matter? Why aren't you? Why aren't, why aren't you? You messaging us? What's right, you right. or something?" But um, one of the things that I found incredible, one of the many things I found incredibly smart with this first issue was that lead has intimacy issues. It just oh, makes yeah. perfect. It makes perfect sense that a dude that's constantly jacked into this anonymous data stream would have a hard time. For sure, yeah. Actually, actually, revealing himself to someone else. I mean, you, you, you withdraw and you sink deeper and deeper into this fantasy world. And, um, and in turn, in the case of lead, we get, we, we get more into the origin story of lead and Debbie and how they became these constables and who they are next issue. But in terms of their origin stories, it's, it, they're children of neglect because their parents were jacked in too. And the children, and like you, exactly like you were saying, you know, like what example am I setting when I tell my kids, like, yeah, yeah, book time, I got it, I'll be right there, I'm doing something on the computer. Like, uh, what are they learning from watching that behavior, you know? And it's, it's, um, it's dangerous, and it's something that, you know, I think that it, I found it to be something that was incredibly enriching in terms of what I got out of it in ter- as I was developing these, these characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, first line of the book, for me, home run, where it's just one sentence, but it, it shows just how smart and I, I'm not talking in terms of, of information or worldliness, but you, you work smarter. The first line has this built-in backstory. It, you just said the, the Isle of Los Angeles 2089. That speaks volumes to what's going on here. There's a part of this story we don't know, but we kind of can glean that something really bad happened because Los Angeles is now an island. Yeah, yeah, the the poles melted and the oceans rose, you know. Yeah, but that's amazing. Like one sentence and you got me. I'm glad to hear it. You know, I I am. One of the things that I promised myself on my creator-owned books is to to really not consider the audience and not in a dismissive way and in a way where I I have to focus on on making the books for myself. Sure. And making the books for my artist, uh, you know, collaborator, and and that we are excited. And ultimately, if we're happy and excited, that has to be enough. Because I find that if I turn, and this is something you learn after doing books and and working in entertainment, if you turn to any external source for validation, it will it will it will taint your creative process. You run the risk of subconsciously changing your intention to placate some reviewer who could well be a 17-year-old, you know, right, ding dong, right. and that's not to say that their opinions aren't valid, but that mm-hmm. that opinion might not be valid, but you might have read that review and that might have got into your headspace and now you're writing an issue and you're like, "Well, geez, I don't know if I want to do that." And you don't know quite why, but it was because somebody called you a mean name because they didn't like the way you did something. And you you really have to just shut down all external sources in terms of the audience and do what you want because that's why we're doing this is to enjoy it. And so when they, when, when the books finally come out, I recognize that like I, I do my very best to just stay offline and to not look for, not look for reviews and things. 
Um, but hopefully, you know, when people do read it, they have that same reaction because, that, boy, we, you know, we worked our asses off on this one. You know, Preach on, Brother Remender. You know, that, uh, Rick, that, that, that makes me think of something. I mean, it, just because, again, you're being quite candid. I mean, so when you when you do a, a project and you're very proud of it, um, does the affirmation you get from fans at cons or, or through letters, I mean, does it – I mean, while I'm sure it's nice, is it is it in any way like – is it is it less meaningful? I don't know how to word this right, but – but do you ultimately care? I mean, as long as you're proud of the project, do you, do you ultimately care? Is it other than it's it's nice to hear compliments, but it one way or another doesn't really drive you? I've got a number of <laughs> interesting um, personality deficits that I can't hear compliments anyway. I, okay. I wear particularly dark colored, negative filtered glasses. Um, compliments uh, they uh, they bounce off of me. And I, I can I am incapable of absorbing them. Um, I try, and you know, I, I say the right things, like "thank you," like I just did. Thank you for your compliment, <laughs> but I don't feel it. Um, but I do feel uh, criticism, and I do feel it. And I and so I look for criticism from my uh, from my editor and from my uh, uh, collaborator and from my contemporaries and people that I send the scripts to to get feedback. And once I go through a vetting process and put all of my brain into it and try my very best, and I've made sure to to listen to my editor, to listen to at least another writer friend, to listen to my artist, at that point I have to do my best to stay pure to the intention of what I wanted to make, and then I have to shut it down once it goes out into the world. Because mm-hmm. if I were to if I were to listen, for one, even if I if I did absorb compliments, um, that would that could skew the work because I could become an egotist who becomes complacent. And goes, I'm terrific. I'm gonna go be terrific. And <laughs> nothing will make art shittier than than that attitude. I think. Um, and that's not to say you shouldn't have some confidence in, in your craft and what you've learned how to do. But belief belief of your own hype is the ugliest, shittiest thing that can happen. Um, and if it's highly negative, then then that can make you start thinking like if if a book came out and and, and had a, a shitload of people who hated it, but I really loved it. I run the risk of potentially changing what I was doing to, right, to, right. to please these people. And, and the reality is the people who pay attention to comic book press and the people who are online paying attention is a fraction of the actual audience. For example, Lowe. Like I said, Lowe has no buzz online. And I'll hear people talk about a book like Deadly Class, which has a lot of buzz. And they'll go, well, Remender's big hit Deadly Class. Now, I love both those books. But if you want to talk about sales hits... Low has outsold, uh, low volume one has outsold Deadly Class volume one in five months, and Deadly Class has been out for 16 months. Um, low in, in, a, in a sales trajectory is a huge hit. Um, and so the online, pers- the online presence, the online opinions, um, people's impressions of things can fuck you up. And so I just do my very best to, like, I'm very, I'm very grateful when people support the books. Like if people buy a trade paperback or a hardcover and send me a picture of it, I always retweet it as like a thank you because I am incredibly grateful for the opportunity to tell story to people. But when it comes to uh, reviews or it comes to things like that, 
I'll dig through them sometimes when I'm when I'm helping to find uh, uh, back cover quotes for the trades and things. Sure. Um, but I do my very best to just stay the hell away from it because it, it it can really skew your and it can skew your emotional reaction. Like I could stop being proud of something. Like I'm very proud of this, but everybody online hated it. I don't want that because then I'm right, in, right. In, in, a, in, a, in a in a debate with myself over was it good? Like, look, I worked as hard as I could on it. I did all of these vetting processes. I worked with an editor. The artist loved it. I loved it when it went out. And if, at that point, you have to cut cord and just go, okay, world, take take what you want from it. Now, it sounds though like this is a learned process. I mean, right? It sounds oh, like this yeah. is... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Rick Remender in 1999 was not this uh, sort of balanced... Uh, Rick Remender in 2012, I was still, you know, I'd still, you know, four in the morning, finish a script and drift into the comment section. I'm like, what did they think? <laughs> like, right. like, I really like Secret Avengers, and that Mateo really drew the hell out of it. And then drift into a comment section on, on CBR or Newsarama or something, oh, and you're just well, reading... That's your mistake you're, right there. <laughs> you're just reading sewer, a sewer of vitriol. Yeah. Like, fuck him, and, this, and, and they're all... It's just such meanness. And right, just, right. like, you wonder, who is it that's got the fucking time? Like, I didn't like this issue. You're, you know, Scarlet Witch's tiara is not... Does she wears a full tiara? You know, fuck you. Ugh. But I would read that stuff, and it would then have – you're human. And even if you have the most stout heart and you don't give a shit about what anybody thinks, if you fill your head with that reality, it's in there. So if the only – if I let it in there, it becomes a part of my overall impression of myself, my work, and what I'm doing. And that goes for good or bad. And, you know, I think that the risk, like I said, the risk you run with a good one, you read some glowing review. It's it's just it's, it doesn't make me feel good. It makes me feel relieved when it happens, and right. I, I go, oh, what a relief! And and if that were to happen a lot, like you know, X Force, I think, and or Fear Agent, you know, like back in those days when those became big hits, it, it I didn't find it as a, it wasn't healthy for me to to you know to go drift into the comments and go like they all loved it. I'm you know like oh great, I'm great. And it doesn't, it, you know, you have to be aware that eventually, if it was all positive, and it was on those books for a while, that can also skew your reality. Mm-hmm. And that can also change your intention, you know, if you're not careful. And so I, I just I just try and stay away. Yeah. Well, if you let it, the critique can actually become part of the art. So you, you're, you're smart from for backing off. But th- this is the perfect time to ask this question I always wanted to ask you. Um, in terms of Fracking Castle... There had to be a time where you were going into that thing thinking, they're going to kill me. There, there's, there are people out there that are actually going to kill me. Was there like a hunker down phase before that first issue came? Like after the, the list came out and, you know, you cut the Punisher to, to, to chunks. Sure. When you did the Frankencastle thing, were you actually, was there a point where you were like, what did we do? No. I just loved it so much. And, um, Same here. <clears throat> You know, Sebastian and Axel and Tony and I were also excited about it, and we were just having such a blast with it. I was actually surprised because I forgot. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. They're gonna remember that supernatural Punisher they didn't like, or they're, <laughs> or they're gonna think it's this. They're not gonna. They're not even gonna read it. They're just gonna judge it, you know. And they're gonna assume that we. We. They're gonna. They're not gonna understand schlock. They're not gonna understand the appeal of a B movie. They're not gonna understand right. the appeal of not taking a character like fucking Frank Castle so goddamn seriously. You know, like his family was killed. Somebody watched Death Wish. Now he's gonna <laughs> get that pot dealer on his street. Take that Puerto Rican. Um, <laughs> 
You like, actually sound like the voiceover on a trailer. You're good. Yeah, no, yeah, they're hiring me. Mar- Marvel, Marvel have hired me to do the voiceover for the Punisher trailers. Um, I, I, you know, I did think though. I thought the people who didn't like it, it was more than anything. It was I was new at Marvel. It was my flag post that this is what I'm going to be doing, and it was like people who get it will get it and love me, and people who don't will hate me. And I think that that's that's the healthiest way to approach any uh, any creative endeavor. Do what you want to do. Do what gets you excited, and 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 lean hard into you know who your voice and and what you want to do. And um, and that's what that was. And so, in one in, in one aspect, people who loved it, they love it. They still bring it up, and they bring it up like passionately. People come up to shows and they just, oh my god, I love Fury. But when you guys took over Frankie Castle, ah! because they love the absurdity. But I still tried to you know, bleed pathos out of it. There was still a metaphor for the monster inside of Frank was coming out. Frank had just, before that, which is the thing that I thought people were going to get upset about, um, Dormammu magic resurrects Frank's family, and the second they crawl out of the casket, he incinerates them. <laughs> yes. And, and he, yes. sets them back, he sets them on fire, and the, and the hood is like, what the fuck? And I thought that was going to be the one that everybody was going to just be in an uproar. But it was ignored. <laughs> no, nobody was upset about Frank burning his family back down to the ground. And the commentary on Frank, which was, he likes being the Punisher now. And he doesn't want him back. And, he, you know, he said, oh, it was black voodoo magic and hoodoo-doo-doo. I don't want that, you know, black evil magic in my family. But that wasn't why he did it. And so that you never the reaction, you just never know. And so when it came out, I still had an open Facebook account and a couple things online, and, you know, I got death threats, and somebody threatened my daughter, and, you know, it was just just oh, lunatics masturbating to guns and ammo, you know, like, nah, you're not going to... And so I just kind of assumed, like, it was those are the right people to piss off, and pissing off the right people is as important as making, as making you know, the right people happy, I think. Yeah, it's so good to hear you say that. I'm in the the unhealthy obsession camp with Frank and Castle. I loved it. To, to me, it was a love letter to B movies and the Bronze Age and used Man Thing. And and one of the things I really love about that series is traditionally, you know, this is uh, vampires don't create; they destroy. And who actually makes Frank and Castle? But a vampire, yeah, yeah. a vampire mad sci- scientist. That was just like that was the part where I was just like, you got me, Rick. Did you, well, I, you know, I say that all the time. But no, still. all the time. Yeah. <laughs> I think what, you know, and then you, with Tony Moore, though, it's also an exercise in like it doesn't matter. Like if you go back and look at that, every panel is an exquisite work of art, and even yeah, the Roland yeah. Boschi stuff and the Dan Brayton yeah. issue. Like it's just an artistic masterwork in terms of comic yeah. books. Yeah. So you know, if you have art like that, why play it safe? <laughs> really, you, you you should try something big and bold and visual. Um, yeah. And that you it's know, hard. I hope that doesn't sound like patting myself on the back. It's just a, just how I you know perceive the project and my reaction to the the vitriolic craziness that happened when we did. Huh. So you, here's something you said about Tokyo Ghost. You said ultimately every single thing seeded in the first issue that just seems like us being madmen and doing insane explosions and gore is seeded for an emotional payout and leads into something poignant and heartfelt and is really kind of beautiful. So, um, what uh, you see, you have it planned out through ten issues. So what, you know, assuming I, I, I presume this is no issue. The sales are going to be great on it. Um, wh- what is the the thought on this? Is it totally open ended? Is there you know some kind of rough framework beyond the ten issues? You know, thirty issues, fifty issues, or we'll see. You know, we're we're just going to see. Right now, we have a ten issue story to tell, 
Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I'm not going to lie, financial, financial uh, uh, considerations come into account here. Sure. Um, and that, and that, that's with all these books. You know, like once, once a book is, you know, uh, hitting a certain threshold, it becomes very difficult to produce it. And, you know, I've done that. I had Fear Agent selling 4,000 copies a month and was putting that thing out, you know, and just fighting that uphill. And it, it's very, very difficult and very disheartening. Um, but this is obviously not that world, and with somebody like Sean and, and, and Hollingsworth, I, I don't think that that's going to be you know something. Yeah, I don't with. think that's a worry. Knock on wood. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of like what happens after issue ten, there might be a break, and we come back to it later. Um, there, there, there's a lot of options on the table, um, you know, and it, it's really I'm, I'm just I'm not unlike something like Black Science, where I knew like. Mateo and I had cooked up like 50 issues and we're yeah. like, okay, on we go. Like this is a 10 issue story that could be more or it could be 10. And and, that's, okay. and w- once we get further into it, we'll have a better idea of, of where it's going to be. Awesome. Well, like, like Vince said, the, um, you know, the, the preview PDF that we were, we were treated with had, had the line art for the next two issues. Yeah. Um, and uh, I'm just putting on the record in case Sean does listen to this, that I called dibs on the page with the whales. Just saying that right now. I knew it. For the record, I knew it. Jason Schachter, if you're listening, I have dibs on that page because not only am I a huge Sean Murphy fan and a fan of your work, but I am an insanely big fan of whales. I have one tattooed on my arm. So uh, when I saw that, I nearly plotted and thought, if there's ever a person that should own that page, it's me. So just a little shout out to the world. The, the, way, the whale page is, is, is so gorgeous. and It's, it's uh, crazy. It, and it plays a role in the story, and it, it it has something to do with Debbie's mindset and what the world is showing her, where it okay. is dependent, you know, d- dealing with bouncing off where she's at. Um, and I, I, when it came, when that page came in, it's like you know, you have to pepper in humor and you have to pepper in beauty, and especially when you're doing something in a dystopic kind of nightmare future that that feels like maybe it's not too that you know impossible. That that, that that's where we will end up, especially given that you know, the Detroit and RoboCop. Doesn't doesn't look that bad by comparison right, to right. Yeah, to right. where Detroit is at now. Um, yeah. You know the world could go sour, and yes, that's that's interesting to explore. But it's also important to to make sure there's plenty of humor and beauty in there, and that 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 when when Sean hits that stuff, and especially when we get to Tokyo, and then the story takes takes a turn there. And as you've seen, um, man, it it is a visual feast. Yeah. Jason may love the whale page, but I'm uh, particularly enamored with the dangle dangle page. <laughs> of course you are. Dangle dangle. <laughs> yeah. Yes, of course. And it's are. drippy too. That's the best part is that it's drippy. It's a little drippy. <laughs> he just, he's been in a hot tub, you know, like nothing's taught when you've been in a hot tub. Uh, so good. Uh, yes, that is true. And, and what what is the uh, what is the release date on the first issue? Uh, I think sep- uh, mid mid September. All right. Awesome. So the seventeenth or something. So I, um, I, I think, uh, in terms of, of your works, I, Mateo is, is, is a buddy as well. And, and I, uh, I think I own 12, 15 pages from Black Science. Uh, oh my God. Yeah. It's, I love, I love that, that book. Um, so we are, um, when we get our TV things, show announced, you'll have a nice investment. There we go. Well, I don't, I've never sold a, a, I've never sold a comic or a, or a piece of art, but I'm sure, as I always joke, when I pass away, my wife will be very happy. Yeah, and maybe. Promptly yeah. dispose of it. And who knows, how, yeah, so in six yeah. months, she's gonna have oh, some money. Oh, jeez, wow, that's rough. Uh, I took pretty <laughs> I care of But, uh, the Dimension Auth, so, so, um, you, you hinted that you have roughly a 50 issue outline, so, um, you know, I love the idea that we can be brought into all these different worlds. Um, it, it's like you have kind of a little bit of a Exiles What If riff, 
that you can kind of do anything you want within the 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 structure of obviously a, a the, the underlying story of, of Grant and the the his 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 band of of characters, including you know depending on which dimension you're talking about, uh, you know his his wife and kids and all of that. So it's just been a nonstop ride, and I have to say, with each passing arc, uh, we get very different um, crescendos. You know, you mentioned the importance of making each issue in a comic stand into itself, and I think you've done an excellent job with that in Black Science, but. You know, take me through, can you give us a hint as to maybe what we're going to see next? Because where we were left with the last issue, um, they had cured the, the dimension or the world of, of the, the, the plague and, and bounced out. And then lo and behold, um, someone familiar to us comes back and, uh, I guess takes the world for themselves. So safe to assume we are going to see that world again at some point in the series. Otherwise, what was the point of all that, right? Or, or you're going to start seeing the the, the sentient gas ghosts uh, spreading. Now, okay. one of the one of the things is the butterfly effect, where um, you know Chandra stole the handheld pillar from Alternate Grant before she ran away, and we found out that you know the cast found out that oh she was possessed in the first trade by one of those sentient gas ghosts, um, and so she she took the pillar and bailed. And when we like we saw in the first trade. What were the sentient gas ghosts trying to build? They were trying to build a pillar. Why were they trying to build that? Well, the end of issue 16 reveals it. They, they, they are, you know, they are a parasite that spreads, and they want to spread. And like we saw in uh, issue six, the world that they first that they were in was a cold, barren wasteland, probably not full of much life other than the uh, ar- arctic monkeys that they were inhabiting. And so, um, what, what, what? What our uh, dimensionauts have done through the unintended consequence of going where they shouldn't is to put in uh, to put a, a handheld pillar device, in, you know, uh, in their hands, and that was the first sign of you know their, the dimensionauts are going to try their damnedest to leave every world better than how they found it. Um, but the unintended consequences of the mistakes and the missteps they've made along the way are going to quickly undo that. Um, and that the shaman who met a, a terrible fate was was 100% correct <laughs> in what he was trying to get done and what he was trying to do. He was he wasn't just he wasn't kind of right. He was entirely right. And and and, and like we see in life, most of the time when you're entirely right, you you get you get shot in the head. Um, and so the the setup and what we're showing there is just the very beginning of what's coming. Everything in black science in the first two trades. Is setting up what's coming. Um, the the millipedes, the, the 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 shaman and his world, everything that they've done, everywhere they go, it's not an in and out and then on to the next thing. There are there is a, a ripple effect of their presence, of their interactions, of their mistakes, of the 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 microbes on their foot. Everything they do is going to have an unintended consequence. Taking Crowlar, the troll baby, all of these things. Uh, are all seeds for the next 15 issues as shit goes off the rails. Um, and so in terms of where the book is headed, it's, it's headed into a really sunny, happy place for the team, um, and everything's going to be gonna be super good and A-OK for them. Um, oh, nope. Sorry. <laughs> that's, that's not where it's going. Can, so can, I played can, a funny. Can Grant be redeemed? I mean, is that part of the arc, or, or is that part of what we're? Is that part of the journey of figuring out whether he can be redeemed, or don't you care? You know, I mean, I, I think that, that that's Grant's Grant's a, a, a 
we're going to get into the next arc is a, is a deep look into who Grant is and, wh- and, and the aspects of Grant we haven't seen, his family of origin, why he became a workaholic, why he, be, why he, be, why he started a, you know, to cheat, uh, even though it was Rebecca who instigated, why did he allow himself to fall into an extramarital affair? Uh, why, wasn't he, why was he so obsessed with work that he wasn't there for his kids? Um, these things are terrible attributes. And things that any new parent fears, like, you know, as I, the first year my daughter was born, I was working so much to try and make enough money that we could, you know, afford stuff for her. Uh, but I, I was, you know, I was only available for two, three hours a day and then back to the computer and typing. And so this fear builds of like, oh, my God, I'm not going to be a good enough parent. And I thought that was like, well, what about making that a reality with with a character? And that was where Grant was kind of born, was somebody who had failed in all these ways and utterly and so in terms of can he be redeemed, really, I think that he's not, he's not that irredeemable a guy. His, his crimes are, are human, and his fallibility is identifiable. And the next arc is going to do, hopefully, a good job of, of explaining why these things happened, because I like to hold the backstories like I did in Fear Agent until we get a good bit in, and then to tell the backstory and show why all of this stuff happened and what happened to him as a kid and what happened to him early in his life that led to these decisions. Um, and ultimately, what he decides to do and what his goals are, I think we saw a nice turn in the third trade where, you know, he, he turned around and faced things. And it was because of Sean and because of Sean reminding him what they signed on for. Uh, you know, it was really a hero moment for Sean, but, but Grant had the rocket pack and, and, went off to try and, and do exactly uh, uh, what he had always preached. And so... Um, I agree. I, I can't wait. Yeah. And, I mean, you knew this since you're writing, but I can't wait to figure out, though, if that was... Like, I, I feel like he's the kind of guy that he has this moment of epiphany where he's going to try and do the right thing, but I want to find out if if he falls back into bad habits or if it's really a sort of a turning point in his life. But I guess that's uh, that's the point of being along for the journey, so I'm excited about that. Cool. Yeah, I am glad. I'm glad you're digging the book. I mean, it's it's a, it's a it's a pleasure to make it. Hey, we have so much fun, and the, the next issue um, is already finished. Mateo's already working on on issue 18, and um, nice. 17 is the best looking book yet. It's just we should do another artist edition for 17 because it's ridiculous. It's so nice. Awesome. So that leaves us uh, or brings us to Deadly Class, which. Um, you have been very open with the fact that you know it's set in the '80s, and uh, you grew up uh, in the '80s in, in that area. And it's it's although although the book is about a bunch of young assassins, you you do make the point uh, in the I think it's the first issue, but at some point early on in the series that this is a very personal story for you that you're drawing on a lot of experiences that you and your friends lived through um, as kids growing up in the you know the the West Coast scene. So. Does that, does that, um, is it easier or harder to write a book that's so personal? Um, because it, it, you know, that, that kind of thing fast, I guess it, if I were in your shoes, I would be scared of doing that kind of thing, but it, it seems to not be an issue for you. I, I wouldn't say scared. I mean, cause I, I think I, I've grown callous enough that I just don't care. And it's also hidden in a lot of fiction, you know, like not all mm-hmm. of the events of the stories are obviously based on true events. And Marcus is right. not me. Marcus has a lot of me in him. In, a, in Assassin's Guild, you mean? Yeah. 
Yeah, sure, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, each one of those characters are based on somebody I knew, and Marcus is obviously, you know, um, a, a lot of my journals and a lot of what I went through in high school is, is dumped into Marcus, but then a lot of it is fictionalized. So I feel like, I feel safely guarded, I guess, because if somebody were like, you know, did you really say that or think that? I, you know, like, oh, no, no, maybe. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. it could be fiction, could be real. Who knows which part is right, which? Right, right. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so that, that, that guards me a bit. But for the things that I'm doing that are extremely personal and things that are obviously events that happened or things that, you know, seem very far too personal and, and you know, to, to, you know, to, to be fiction, um, if, if somebody were to glean something and go like, oh, this is definitely something that happened, they might be totally wrong, but even if they were right, um, I think that it's, um, it's far enough in my past at this point that digging through those journals and, and digging through my old notebooks from when I was, you know, uh, you know, that age, that it's like, yeah, but, you know, I think that the problem with most entertainment that deals with teenagers is that it doesn't really get to the honest part of it. It, it always feels a little bit disingenuous. It always feels like it's glazing over the, you know, the, the, the rotting fungus in the middle of it all. And, um, and I feel like that, that does, you know, you're not, if you're not being honest, then there's no authenticity. Then why are you doing it? Uh, you know? Um, so I wanted to do something, and now that I'm safely 42 years old and far enough away from it where I can look back, um, I feel like it's, 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 uh, it's why the book is is as beloved as it is, is because it's all of that gooey, shitty ugliness that is ultimately authentic and, and identifiable to the kinds of you know people who identify with it will go like, oh my god, you know what a specific, what a very specific and honest thing that I would never want to <laughs> admit to thinking or having done, um, and that 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 builds a connection, and that's what you want, you know. I want to I want to connect with people. You want people to feel like they're not alone. And when they read something that there's a character of your cast or two that they can identify with and it makes them feel not alone, like, oh, my God, you know, I, I thought that or I did this or I thought I was the only one. And the majority of the, you know, a, a huge portion of the audience of Deadly Class are, are teenagers. And that's... Oh, is that the, right? And, that's very cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, when I go to, when I go to cons, you know, like it's, 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 a, it's a lot of teenagers. That's and awesome. I, think that, I think that they're just identifying with, you know, that, that honest, ugly shit that I'm able to kind of unearth and dig out of those old journals and, and, and put on the page now because, you know, I'm like, eh. it was like 15 years or 25 years ago. I don't care. You guys can judge it if you want. One of the things that is pervasive in the book outside of the, you know, the interpersonal relationships and obviously it being about assassins and whatnot is, is, um, and I think some of where West does his absolute best work, um, is, is, with with the drug use, right? I mean, um, when 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 Marcus and some of his friends are tripping, and I mean, some of that stuff is just amazing to see rendered. Um, yeah. But but and now correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you've been pretty open. Like I know you you either are currently or have for much of your life been straight edge, right? Well, I was straight edge after I was a a, a terrible uh, teenager. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, um, so I, okay, yeah, I, okay, yeah. Okay, so, gotcha. like, you know, I don't want to get into what's real and what's not, but yeah, you know, yeah, the okay, Vegas, gotcha. yeah. The Vegas story. I mean, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. So for me, Straight Edge was a reaction to, oh my God, I, you know, from the age of you know fifteen till you know nineteen or twenty, I was making terrible, terrible decisions. Sure. Sure. Now Jordan Boyd took over on colors in issue fifteen. 
and uh, I think it looked great. Um, now, is that because Lee was? I mean, Lee's doing your. Uh, he's, did he do? Uh, Lee's doing one or two of your other books, though, right? Still, I mean, is that? Is, no, is no, he, he, he's not. Yeah, no, okay. he's he's just he's you know it was all uh, scheduling snafus, and he's just super sought after, and you know we love Lee, and it was it was uh, yeah, it's just so it was just an un- unavoidable. An un- unavoidable situation. Well, Jordan p- picked up the baton and ran with it, so no worries there. I mean, he—I he, thought he did a great job. He's—he's he he's amazing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. We're, we're in great hands, and it, Jordan is the is the regular colorist moving forward. So we're we're incredibly lucky to have him. He's he's crazy talented. Awesome. And and so in terms of Deadly Class, again, open ended here in terms of um, of how long it's going to go, or because and I ask that because it seems like with Marcus and his friends, it it just it's hard for me to imagine. It's hard for me to imagine this going on for too long because it seems like they're on a fairly self-destructive path. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, but don't, keep in mind, there's a lot of other characters and a lot of other people in the school. Oh, um, fair the, enough. I guess I should the, presume Marcus is the centerpiece. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Marcus can just be season one. You know, who knows? Uh-huh. Yeah, you're gonna. Yeah, he'll become a senior, and you're gonna have the freshman class coming in. So it's it's a concept that can go on for. Well, I, yeah, I, and there's I, also a lot of other. We we went to great pains to set up a lot of you know a a lot of B and C and D characters in the book. Plus, it's <laughs> the eighties, so if you if if you can get the present day and still have plenty of stories to tell between then and now. I mean, yeah, there's there's right now. I know I, I've got I've got thirty to forty issues in my head of, and I know it's, what happens. Um, it could go another hundred. That might be a good point to wrap it up. Uh, on that one, I'm just not sure. But I, I know that it'll go at least 30 or 40. Awesome. So you, as you mentioned, uh, you know, have, you yourself are an accomplished artist, and you've supposed, you spent most of the last bunch of years focusing on your writing. But, um, you know, we had we had Hickman on uh, a couple months back, and, you know, he, he keeps insisting that he's going to draw his next greater own book. And you've certainly uh-huh. done a lot more illustration than he has in, in your past. So, number one, do you, do you miss drawing your own stuff? And and number two, um, you know, depending on how this this next year goes in your return to create your own full time, do do you have at least sort of tangential thoughts of of doing a book that you that you write and draw again? I talk about it, but I don't know. Um, <laughs> it's like. I, why, why would I, I, you know, that was always the problem when I was an illustrator and is, you know, I, I was sharing a studio with Kieran Dwyer and I would, you know, Jerome, I'd see what Jerome Pena was doing and what Tony Moore was doing and what all these guys were doing. And it was just like, you know, we're working with Eric Canetti and it was like, oh, I can't, these guys are just, they're just <laughs> phenoms. They're just ridiculous. And so I just got to the point where I was like, you know, I like drawing. Uh, my daughter and I come downstairs and we draw, and I teach her how to draw, and, and we really enjoy it. Um, and Scotty Young asked me to do a pinup for for his, you know, I hate Fairyland book, and I was, you know, flattered, and I've thought about it, but I I just find that making a living as an artist for as many years as I did kind of ruined it for me. Um, okay. And and because I'm like I'm like you know, I'm good, but I'm not great. I mean, like I was, I was, you know, I was, I was, you know, I don't know, but I wasn't as good as the people around me or the people that would, that would, that were willing to draw my, my, my scripts. And so I just got to the point where I, I said, pick, pick, pick a craft. Don't be, don't be master, you know, don't be jack of all trades. Pick one and become, become as good as you can at it. 
and and I made the the, the decision in 2007. I turned down a job to be um, one of the head guys at, at Electronic Arts on the Simpsons video game line and, and storyboarding and design and all that. And it was either that or move to Portland and, and try to keep writing comics. And I was like, I'm going to do writing. And so I, I, I miss it occasionally. Um, I don't miss that terrible feeling of like uh, comparing it against the, the other artists I know, <laughs> which is all, ultimately what I, had, sure. what I did all the time. I had my friends always had to say, like, don't compare and despair, man. You're really good. I'd be like, yeah, but look what Kennedy's doing. Look at this. I can't do this. It's kind of tough when you share a studio with Kieran Dwyer, who, it, it, who is it, an absolute yeah. Kennedy. Absolute I mean, boss. those two are. But yeah, I mean, I didn't share a studio with Kennedy, but I was just saying guys I was working with writing at the time, and you know, yeah. all of it. It was just surrounded by all these geniuses, and I was just like, fine, I'll just tell you geniuses what to draw. <laughs> For reals. Well, so you've got. Once once Tokyo Ghost hits the stands, you'll have four ongoing creator-owned works out there in the ether. Um, so I presume you're constantly getting new ideas. Should we think? Should we expect more books to come out? And if so, are you going to stage them in terms of you know maybe taking like you said a few months off to do something else? I mean, how how should we think about that beyond the, these four books? Because that's a lot of work. Well, the, the, the books are all pretty have- busy. I'm busy. The books will all have three-month gaps between the arcs uh, to give us time to catch up and for me to like add new books to my plate because I'm I'm a lunatic. Um, and I have um, a book I wrote in 2006 uh, is coming out from uh, uh, Dynamite and it's being drawn by one of my favorite artists, John Wayshack, and, and Jordan Boyd is uh, uh, coloring that one as well. Um, and it's called Devolution, and this is a, a a book I wrote, you know, almost ten years ago. And so I'm taking the outline and the old scripts, and I'm reworking them before they go to John a little bit. But ultimately, I'm kind of just letting it preserve that it's it's a thing. It it feels like a book I wrote ten years ago. So if you like for your agency of red, you'll like this. <laughs> but um, ultimately, that is mostly done and has been done for years now. So that's not eating a lot of time. But I, mm-hmm. I think that'll start coming out in like January. Um, and then as for like 2016, yeah, I mean I've got three, I've got three really huge projects, and they're not all going to be ongoings. Um, and some of them will be things where you know there'll be you know five issues, and we'll take a little time off, and then do another five issues. And and some of them are just you know eight issues done and you know in and out. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm keeping myself completely overwhelmed. But you know it all it all for me it all comes down to. Uh, uh, the ideas are one thing. I can I can have a good idea and be like, yeah, I don't have time for that. It's having the good idea and having an artist going like, right, know, right. I'm one of your favorite artists and I'm way ready for script. <laughs> and to go like, no, I'm sorry, I have to be healthy and responsible and say no. Um, you know, and and you know, I've been going to Al Anon and I'm hearing a lot about how I'm supposed to say no more often. But <laughs> sorry, genius artist who's one of my favorites in the world, I kind of I kind of can't. So I just keep going like, yes, I can work Sunday mornings as well. <laughs> do, do you try and, and regiment your schedule such that you're working on a specific book for a specific period of, of the month? Or is it more whenever the sort of the idea strikes you, you just, you just hammer that book out and then go from there? I, I, I write a full outline. And mm-hmm. then I bounce that off of uh, my editor, Sebastian, and the artist, and then I do notes, and then I sit with it, and then I rework it, and then I sit with it, and I rework it, and I try to give that process a week. Um, and then once I have an outline done, 
then I dole out scripts as needed. So I write the first issue, and when the artist needs it, I write the next. But because I did all of the sort of macro work uh, up front, and it's all kind of the, the tracks are laid, I can I can sort of pick up a chunk at any given moment, and, and it's not it's not so jarring. So going from you know Deadly Class and Low earlier this month into Tokyo Ghost. It's not that difficult because I've got an outline. I can crack open the outline, reread it, and go, oh, yeah, 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 okay, oh, Willie does this, right, and that's where Marcus is in this, okay, cool. And then I see that I've got to get from here to there, and I script it. Um, so I really, I really, as long as I have outlines and I know where I'm going, um, getting, the, getting the scripts done is, is, is not hard. And frankly, my ADD demands it because once I've been living with, you know, like Led and Debbie and Tokyo Ghosts for a while, I'm like, you know, I couldn't do the next issue. I, I want to get off and go write Stell and close out the second low trade. I, I, and then I want to go off and be with Grant for a while. I just each one of these characters really fulfill a different sort of aspect of of you know what I like to examine and write. And so I like to jump around and and, and kind of inhabit inhabit each of them. At, you know, you know, in a month. So relative to Stell in low. Um... How long do we have to wait to find to have her get to the surface? Is that the journey, or, or is she going to get to the surface and we're eventually going to see the deal there? We're going to see the deal there in the third arc. Um, All right. And I don't okay. want to I don't want to kill kill issue ten or anything, but uh, I figured like two. I figured like you know a year was a you know uh, you know ten issues was a good a good amount of time to spend as she was traveling up 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 up. Um, and now that we've done that and I've seeded everything that's going to play a role on her way back down, 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 which uh, is coming, or maybe it'll be somebody else's uh, drip, trip down. Somebody's going to go back down. Um, the the surface will will be revealed uh, when, when when we come back. So um, I yeah, guess I that'll mean, be. I guess where we where we left off with the last issue, we've 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 got the sisters reunited, thanks to the helm suit. And uh, and that's the sort of the big crescendo. I'm waiting to find out what happens. So that's you know, Takini's art. I have to say, like t- like Takini, um, you know, we're 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 bestowed with uh, with you know, thanks to Image, we're we're given digital copies of all the books to sort of review and all that sort of thing. But but I will say that in particular of all of your collaborations, Greg's work is is done an injustice digitally because it's so intricate and so uh, delicate that it looks. Like it, it looks breathtaking on on paper in you know in your hand, and I think that uh, that uh, I, I know that digital is an increasing part of of sales in the industry, but I do think sometimes I don't know if you notice it when you look at your own works if if you notice that sometimes I think digital treats the art well, other times I think it 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 does it a little bit of a disservice, and I think in Lowe's case the art has to be seen in person to really appreciate just how intricate it is because it's just. It's on another level, I think, but uh, but but it's lost. It's, a little it's bit. also a little bit bigger, you know. I think that the screen on on the average iPad is a little bit smaller than a comic book Got page, it. and, and yeah. I think that inch uh, of circumference can really make a difference. And that's what she said. And boing. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't not do it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think that you know, Greg. Greg put so much into the work that if you you know. Uh, if you have an eye for art, you know what you're looking for, and you look at those panels, they go on forever, and they're so so beautifully designed that ultimately we will do a big oversized hardcover like the Fear Agent ones. And we nice. just put out the Last Days of American Crime oversized hardcover, and that comes out uh, next week, yes. and it's eight eight by eleven or eight by twelve, just like the Fear Agent hardcovers. 
So you get to see what Greg's work looks like in, in a giant printed hardcover edition with the big expensive paper and all the good stuff. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's worth it. It's worth seeing it in this. So I can't wait to see Lowe given the same, the same treatment. Uh, while we're on the subject of last days, that one scene where, uh, Shelby pulls Graham into the restroom. Uh huh. And what she says to him after, <laughs> I, I think that that is just like a, the perfect marriage of of visuals and 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 the story. It's just devastating that scene, and it's amazing. It's just so well done. Uh, that's a great book, and I'm glad that it's getting the oversized uh, hardcover treatment. Yeah, I I, I I am too. It's a, it's a real treat. I got my comps in, and it, it it it's something I'm incredibly proud of. It was another exercise in. I want to do a crime story that actually reflects the real true horror that I'm reading in the news every day. And so much of the really terrible, horrific things that happen in that are things that, that were taken out of news articles that I was reading and things that were actually mm-hmm. happening. And, and, you know, so I had somebody come up at a show and they go, this is just so ugly and there's all this in. And I go, yep, but that happened in Los Angeles a year and a half ago. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, um, sure. so. Yeah. And then seeing Greg, you know, so beautifully, uh, uh, you know, render all that ugliness is, uh, you know, it's a treat. Uh, his women are beautiful. Has there been any play on that series um, in other media, um, like uh, maybe a television show or a movie or any any kind of options for Last Days? Yeah, yeah. Uh, about five years ago, we had F. Gary Gray directing it and Sam Worthington starring in it. And then uh, Sam pulled out to go do uh, Man on a Ledge. And so in Hollywood, once... A big star walks away, something feels tainted to other people, so we've had to let it cool off, but there's some big news that I'm told will uh, be coming out soon, and it's still in development for for, for a future film. Oh, awesome. awesome. Great. I mean, yeah. I mean speaking hey of guys, that, I'm sorry to uh, interrupt this. You'll probably have to cut that right there. Um, my, my, uh, my, my kids are upstairs screaming, and, and I thought we'd be done at 6, so I have to uh, pull the plug. Oh, oh no worries well. at all. You've been very gracious with your time. We appreciate having you on, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's been, yeah, really great talking with you guys. I mean, really, really great. I'd, you know, love to do a follow up to this at some point if you want. Uh, so any, anytime you want, just, you know, email me and we'll make it happen. Cool. Beautiful. Awesome. And w- will we be seeing you at any cons? Are you going to come to New York this year or? I can't do New York. I promised Tony I'd go do his Cincinnati show in September and then I'm doing Leeds okay. in November and then I'm going to uh, squirrel myself away in my cave and write the 45 projects I've cooked up for myself. Awesome. <laughs> Well, listen. Thanks again for having you, uh, for coming on. It's been a real treasure, man. And uh, enjoy the evening with your kids, and all the best to your lovely wife. And uh, I hope the, the the family health issues you mentioned earlier are uh, uh, you know pass you know pass by soon. I hope I hope everything's okay there. So thanks I, I again, man. And we're, uh, we are uh, we are stoked to uh, to let the rest of the world see Tokyo Ghost because we've already had the pleasure. Well, I really appreciate you guys taking the time. It was great talking with you, and uh, hopefully we can do it again. All right, Rick. We'll see you soon. Thank okay, you very much. Care. Thank you so much. Take care. Night. All right. Well, how about that? Uh, I thought that, that was, was amazing. Shit. No, he's he's very easy to talk to, and the fact that we we really do no BS enjoy his work, whether it no, no, no. depending on I mean, it doesn't depend on the genre. He he has his tendrils in a bunch of different stuff, and he does it all really really well. Sure. And it, it was just a joy to talk. I, to. I know we we. Well, you specifically jumped towards the tail end of his Punisher run, and and then he brought up Frank's family that was uh, drawn by what? Uh, but it was it, it was his his uh, the early from when that that series kicked off post um, Civil War, and and uh, and 
Dark Reign, and that was just you had the McCone covers, which were homages to to earlier Spider-Man yes. stories, but the art by Opeña was fucking top notch. And there, I would just we got to have don't, back so I can pick his brain on that. Yeah, don't leave Tony out. Tony's art was really great no in that series. But, yes, that one, but that one that splash was, where the man thing is in the sewer. Oh my right, god, that, that's gorgeous. That's what I'm saying. Oh, that was all part of the Frankencastle run. So yes, and, right. and and Tony was brought up, and I'm glad he mentioned Breerton because I thought those those issues, those pages were fantastic. Yeah, yeah, that was off the hook. Um, Anything Breerton's great, but I mean, he brought back Microchip. You had the other kid who, who was, you know, <laughs> yeah. who was who was you know trying to work with Frank. It was just I really really enjoyed that uh, that Punisher run. But I mean, there was I mean, yeah, but there and Jason really I'm surprised didn't get to go hip deep into. Um, into M. Kenya and into X Force. So uh again, or did I go deep in that? Into, into Fear Agent, my my two favorite, two of my favorite which, works. Right, okay. and and he 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 did. He he wanted to make sure you know that, and then he gave props to to for because he, he did talk about who he worked on what with, and and honestly, I am extremely grateful that Wes Craig is the artist on Deadly Class because I do not know if I'd be enjoying it as much if Tony Moore started it off. Yeah, some of the things that I've read in Deadly Class are instant I'm out for David A. Price. But he's keeping you, which yeah. is, uh, once again... Well, that's right. You know, that's a good point because uh, Tony is a phenomenal artist. And I couldn't, like, I couldn't picture a Fear Agent without Tony starting it, right? Right. Um, uh, but you're right. I, I don't think Tony... Deadly Class would have to be something different than it is for Tony to be the regular artist on it, I yep. think. So I'm with yeah. you. But he was a real and cool I dude. Think, I mean, the thing about him is he's yeah. he's uh, he's an open book man. He's real honest about his life and yep. what's going on. And and uh, I think that comes off as um, you know. I think that's the kind of person that people want to want to support and want to root for. So yeah, I think it's amazing though. I mean, how do you become this? To use a cliche, this chameleon where if anyone was paying attention, they could tell what we like from. Remender, like you are in the fear agent, um, black science camp where, you know, though, I mean, uncanny X-Force too. You love those things. David loves deadly class and other works. Me, it's like Frankencastle and Sea of Red. Like who even mentions <laughs> Sea right? of Red anymore? True. And, and triple X zombies. Those are the things that I really love from him. Yeah. And, and that's not to say that his other works aren't well done. They are well done. But his Captain America, Prisoner of Dimension Z, that thing was amazing. Yep. But for me, it's Deadly Class, Strange Girl, and Triple X Zombies and stuff like that. Like, I think he excels in horror. Whereas you guys, you think he's great with the sci-fi and, and the, the street level stuff. That's, yeah, but he's I mean, amazing. He's amazing. Don't, don't, don't play though. I mean, I, I love all this stuff. I mean, I, I have a, me too. I, I mean, I've, I have that oversized slipcase of the triple X zombies. I mean, it's, it's, I'm, I'm a fan of, you know, in fact, I was thinking about it knowing that he was coming on. I never really connected the fact that I own like of the comic art that I own. So much of it is tied to him. Like I own a yeah. bunch of pages from his, from, from his secret Avengers run with Mateo. I own deadly class pages, Furies and pages. I own those imminent pages from, from all new captain America. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. It's crazy. Um, well, I'll, I'll put it in a way uh, us bottom feeders can relate. Uh, I was there. There was a pe period where I was extremely into the binding of comics. Oh right, yeah. 
Right. And he is the only author that has a volume all to himself. Nice. I bound Strange Girl, Sorrow, and Triple X Zombies in one volume. Mm-hmm. And when I want some Rick Remender, I know where to go because it says his name right on the damn spine. Yeah. Rick Remender. Yeah. You know, we didn't get to ask him. We talked a little bit about his work as an as an illustrator himself. But I wonder if when you have a background as an illustrator, does that make the process of working with other artists easier from their perspective? So. Like from their perspective, yeah. you know, like you know. I, would, I would think so, mm-hmm. because it's easier to communicate what you want. Right. right. A, a non-visual person may struggle with camera angles and you know what to include within the panel that that would be meaningful sure. for the not only the scene but the reader too i would think that he has a, a very much has an edge mm-hmm. on on the, like hickman hickman is a is a visualist as well as as uh a, i hate this word but it fits like a wordsmith right so so yeah those two guys are in the same camp mm-hmm. i'm i'm thinking they're under the same blanket just for me yeah, man. Yeah, huddling for warmth. All right. You know, we got to thank you for being here with us uh, this week. Um, we're not leaving you go. We have you in your travels. Um, but in the interim, please do yourself a huge favor. Go to discountcomicbookservice.com and get your comics because you will get them extremely inexpensively. And once you have all those comics, make sense. Figure out. Your collection. Where? At comicbase.com. Get the application. Put your books in. You will feel a huge sense of relief knowing. I don't know how many of you are my age. I'm 50. I can't remember everything I have in my collection. And I don't have to with Comic Base. I fire it up and it tells me everything in my collection. I get to do... uh a complete overlook on my collection and it tells me this is how many books you have. And when you see that number, you'll be like, Oh yeah, that's how many books I have. I'm <laughs> a, a crazy person for buying that much paper. But regardless, you can make sense of your collection with comic base and, and you should do that. Remember the code comic base 11 will get you an extra 15% off your order. And it's, it's, it's very reasonably priced, priced to begin with, depending on what, what edition you, you prefer. In your travels, I don't know if we're going to double team this. Jason may have read it. He said it was on his stack, but I'm not going to, you know, risk it. I'm going to talk about it. You know, Jack Kirby may have been the best and most gifted cosmic architect, but he wasn't the only one. No, sir. France has their own analog to Jack, and his name is Philippe Druyet. Druyet, sorry. Mm, yes. Druyet. The French trips me up all the time. And the book in question, it comes from Titan Comics. It's an oversized, gorgeous hardcover suggested for mature readers. It's called The Six Voyages of Lone Sloan. It is the first volume in the series. There will be more to come. The Cosmic Vistas Druyet commits to image are absolutely staggering, mind-blowing. I I cannot, as much as I like to um, pat myself on the back that I can make sense uh, verbally out of the the uh, nonverbal, the visual image, I can't do justice to this stuff. It is 
extreme high strangeness. There are double page spreads in here that will change your world. You will, you will change the way you look at comics by looking at this stuff. And it was done in the seventies, which is prime time for me, right? Cause that's when I was like a, a youngin and this stuff, I, I first encountered it in the pages of heavy metal. And while I may not have remembered the guy's name, I remembered the style and I never forgot it. And I have been on the lookout for his work for years. I have a number of French editions of this stuff that I cannot read because not only can I not pronounce the French language, I can't even say it. I can't even read it. So now it's in English. You don't have to from Titan books. This is crazy freaking stuff. There, there are six stories in this thing. There may be six to eight pages and they are it's a, it's a, it's a mind F. That's what it is. Oh. Uh, humanity's on, on the, the cusp of exploring the galaxy and we send people out there. A lot of them don't return, but Mr. Lone Sloan goes out and he is transformed by the infinite, the godlike. And he is put on a throne of stone. So if you put it together, Lone Stone, Lone, Sloan on a throne of stone trips the tongue and it's also going to trip your mind because this stuff is just amazing. It's wacky. It's crazy. If, if Druyer was getting paid per the line. Oh my God. I he, know. he probably got about a billion dollars for this book. Bro, because it's, they're, it's they're, ridiculous. <laughs> no, there are marks all over the place. And like I said, it's very much in the Kirby. What the hell are you smoking? How can a, a human being conceive of, of, the infinite like this because that's what most of this is it's the infinite it's it he's in the playground of the gods and it's crazy jason have you read it yes sir what'd you think it's phenomenal it's you know, not i don't know why it, i mean no, i shouldn't say that I, I i pre-ordered it from previews so i'm something about it must have grabbed me but but i i was not familiar with with the work prior to pre-ordering it and it's uh i don't think we can do the line work justice no, you can't. It's so and, detailed. I mean, some of the pages, it's like, I mean, that one where they introduce the God Kings and you've got three faces. It's, it's like, I mean, I don't know. It, it would be the most petrifyingly difficult tattoo to give a tattoo artist to do ever. <laughs> Seriously. Right? There's a chapter in which he meets Torquedara, Varancor, and it's called The Bridge Over the Stars. It is literally a bridge that spans planets. So, so you have this gigantic cosmic landscape with planets and there are, there are these, they're basically arches that span one planet to another planet. And there's these huge creatures on the, 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 the end cap essentially of these, this, this bridge. And just to conceive of something that spans a distance between planets, it's like mind-boggling. But he gets it all down on paper, and he draws every freaking brick in this bridge. It's like, how can this possibly – how did a human commit this to paper? And you're thinking, it's inconceivable. No, it's not. It's in this book. Yeah, and and Uh, there's definitely some – I don't know which came first, uh, Dune or this, but – but you've got like him saying the word, right? And like it's it, the power of the of the spoken word. It's the, the the pages where he renders sort of like the infinite, like infinite 
versions of himself. It's just it's it's ridiculous. I mean the yeah. the the, the I, I, it I, every page you I look at it and I think it, it would take a modern artist of of some renown. It would take them weeks to draw one of these pages. Right. Well, there's a reason why the installments were done in six to eight pages was because it's the the, the work is so intensive, mm-hmm. and and um basically this the story is this. Sloan is encountered by something which completely destroys his essence and then remakes him in a version to which they can use for their their goal. And they send him out into the galaxy and he just encounters a bunch of people. It's almost like a stream of consciousness type thing. He rides a dragon in space. Is that not the ultimate selling point? The, the guy rides a dragon in space. I'll say it again. It's nuts. You just, you need to see this. And Jason, his line gets even more loose in successive volumes. Really? Like this, mm-hmm. this is tight for Druyer. The later, the, the later volumes, his, his style even transforms more to the point where just, it, it, it does my, my eyes a very good service to just look. I can just words the hell with the words. I just look at the art. Um, but the story is pretty cool. It's, it's very much in the Yodorovsky. Um, oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah. It's, it's, it's in that million to be French or to try and be French. Yeah. But, uh, no, seriously. And, and this volume was not expensive. Uh, the cover price is only 1799 for this oversized hardcover. I think it's like 68 pages, but that's more than enough. When it's Drier, because it's very in, in, intensive. But uh, if you were a discount comic book service customer when this thing came out, you paid about eleven, twelve yeah, bucks for it. Which oh, is crazy. and we we should note for those. Uh, I, this is you know what now I know why I bought this. Um, I remember in the previews in the solicit it says it right here on the back it was the grand prize winner at Angoulême, which is you know one of the big European. I know you guys know this, but for our listeners, it's one of the big European shows. And the grand prize is essentially like one of the, it's the, it's the equivalent of winning the Cannes Film Festival for European conference. Right. Yes. Right. Um, and so when I saw that, I, I ordered this. And I don't even know when I ordered it if I realized it was from the seventies originally. Just, uh, I thought, okay, that'd be cool to try. And the, the Titan Comics has, um, Lone Sloan Delirious and Lone Sloan Delirious 2, uh, coming Delirious soon. is, yeah, Delirious is the next one. Yeah. So. And that's one story. It's longer than this, which is, Wow. And the description is Sloan, a solitary interstellar explorer, imbued him with mystical powers, wanders a universe alive with star dragons, planet-sized machines, insane robots, and beings of godlike powers, melancholies, and rages. So, there, There's a ship, a starship in this book, propelled through the universe with sound. So if you're thinking Grant Morrison came up with that first, he did not. <laughs> nah, son. <laughs> no. Um, there are waves of human bodies in space, yep. just gigantic undulating waves. And you look at it and it's just little tiny human body after little tiny human body all arranged in this beautiful cascading pattern. It's crazy. There must be three million faces drawn in this book because almost every remember- facade, almost every piece of clothing yeah. – piece of armor has some kind of face embedded in it yep and remember this was before the advent of the personal computer so all of this there's a point in the narrative where sloan is duplicated an infinite amount of times 
And Druyer draws every single iteration of his physical form. It's, 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 it's insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And it wouldn't mean dick if the art wasn't good. I mean, anybody could, could just keep drawing the same thing over and over. But Druyer is a consummate draftsman. This thing is incredible. Yeah, so yeah. just, just do yourself a favor. Get this book. No doubt, son. Yep. Damn. Oh, uh, and I have to get it. I, I, I will get it. Um, in your travels, I am going to throw, what am I going to throw out there? You think I'd have been ready? Um, <laughs> you know, well, because I, we, so cute. we really enjoyed the, cause, cause I did read, I read very little this past weekend and, and we're recording this a little early this week. So I, I'm just not making excuses at this point, but, um, there's one thing that I've been meeting to finish cause I only had a couple of issues left to finish it. Um, and that is Cowl. And we all enjoyed the first hardcover, the first collection. Uh, and then, there was the one nice. shot of um, of the uh, the Ravens origin, and and then the second part, which was um, which also happened to be the the final um, part. But uh, issue seven through eleven is the uh, the the arc is um, is called the Greater Good, and it picks up pretty much where the first arc ended. There's the contract dispute happening. Um, but, and this is why I was kind of hesitating about whether or not it, it should be minor travels. Cause I, I did enjoy it. And, and the art is fantastic throughout the entire series. And, and it, and it's still a well told story. It, it just didn't have, and I don't know if it's, I don't think it's because I knew it was ending and, and they, they wanted to continue it, but issue 11 was the, uh, um, the last part. And, and, you know, once the, uh, once the 11th issue came out, they were going to start work on, uh, on the next story that they were all going to, that, that Hagen Siegel and, and Rice were going to work on. And it's, uh, Hadrian's Wall. Um, but I, I don't think, I don't think the story the series ended as strong as it started. Uh, your miles may vary. It, it, it still told, uh, it, I can't say it told a complete story because there are things that they, there are things that can be revisited. Um, it's not like we get a glimpse into the future. Uh, it, it's, it's not exactly a happy ending, uh, especially for some of the characters, but I think that, um, it, it, it was fitting. I just wasn't as happy as I was when I started reading mm. the series. Uh, Let me ask you a question. Does yes. anybody from the first arc come back? Like, if there was a death uh, in the first yeah, arc? Yeah, if, right? Uh, every issue, every issue I read, I kept hoping. But I think when you read number seven, uh, you get the sense that, uh, that, that particular character's story is over. Oh, yeah, correct. yeah. Um, and there is, and there's, and there's fall off from that because there is somebody who was working closely with that individual, um, that goes and talks to his widow and, and there's, there's more politics involved. Uh, there's, um, 
you know, and of course there's, there's the funeral, but the person who did the deed does have, uh, does have to answer for his actions. So at Good. least, at, at, at least it's not, you know, nobody. We do get closure. Yes. Yes. Nice. Um, Closure's good. Closure is good. So, I mean, in, in, in that regard, you know, yeah, I mean, there were, I, I didn't throw my iPad across the room thinking, you know, this bullshit and, and, you know, I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I hate this story. It's there. And, and so that's testament to, to Higgins and Siegel because they were actually able to, you know, in, in 11 issues or 10 since number six was basically, uh, the one issue was a, was a one shot. So, you know, in, 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 a handful of issues, they made me care enough about these few characters, and and it was, you know, it, it's it's a story about unions and contracts, and 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 there's, you know, it, an elevator pitch would probably be a little difficult for some people because as soon as you say certain certain words, they're they're already they stop listening, and and it it really is kind of hard to just sum this book. I, it looks amazing. The art is absolutely fantastic, and and if you if you dig great art, that could be a hook right there. And and you know whatever the story is, okay, you'll you'll, you'll run with it. But um, you know I but, go ahead. You know it's got to be like Salt Peter for the creative team, knowing that you started so strong, and you look at the numbers, and it's like yeah, we're gonna have to wrap it up with issue eleven. Yeah. Uh, that that's got to be a major downer for for such a great book out of the gate, right. and they don't see the numbers. It's just like, are you you guys not paying attention? Know. Well, you know, there's just there are so many good books. It's like David when you and I were talking to um, uh, Chris Mitten at uh, Heroes. Yeah, about, uh, yeah, about Umbral. About Umbral. You know, and just uh, again, it wasn't that they were done with their story; just sales didn't support them both doing the book full time, so they wrapped yeah. it up. You know. I thought everybody loves Chris Mitten, though. That's, they do. I yeah. think everybody that knows him loves him. I guess maybe. Yeah, it's, it's like a him. universal, especially when he's selling his art. The, uh, yeah. but no, I think they're. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, but I, I, I definitely would recommend this story. It's, um, it's just you know it, it's, and it, it. I don't think, at least in my mind, I don't think it felt rushed. I don't think you know you get to issue nine or ten and you're like, okay, you know, and then all of a sudden. It ends. I, I think you know these these five issues, telling the second chapter. Um, mm-hmm. I think I think work. So on the flip side of that, because I I don't want to you know I I finished Cowl and you know I'm I'm being honest about how I felt about it. So instead of me ending my inner travels on the downer, I'll, uh, I'll 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 roll again. And I will say for another book that is ending that has been knocking it out of the park. Uh, and Jason talked about a couple months ago, uh, Daredevil by Wade and Somni and, and Hollingsworth. I read issue 17 and it is, um, you thought, I, I didn't think I was going to see this. I didn't think I was going to have to say this, but, um, Matt Murdoch, who is outed, there's no, no Daredevil identity anymore. Everybody knows who he is. Uh, he, he made a deal. With another devil and, and not Mephisto. He made a deal with Kingpin and he, uh, he, he thought and I did because of how the story is going and hey, it's Matt Murdock, the happy go lucky carefree, uh, lawyer. I, I thought that he had the upper hand and he didn't. And it, it's, it's a, uh, it's, it's a 
hell of an issue and uh the shroud's a dick and and there's just <laughs> uh it it is a real you know if I I don't know is it ending with eighteen or or twenty it, it's it's ending I know that it is it is yeah, soon. real soon um I don't know if issue seventeen is the uh I'm sorry issue seventeen is the one I read I don't think actually issue eighteen uh, according to the last page of seventeen the last panel says next signature piece so to me that kind of sounds like that's 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 the finale but uh. It's definitely in the last day's phase. Yes. Yeah. Um, but it is one of the few current, because it's ongoing right now, that is not, um, tied into Secret Wars. It is, it is one of Marvel's few books that just like, um, Uncanny Avengers and, well, Punisher touched on, on Secret Wars in its last two issues, but it's, uh, it's one of Marvel's, not Secret Wars books going on presently while Secret Wars is going on. It is absolutely fantastic. When this finishes, if you were not reading the single issues, you will get the collection. This, uh, it's, it's different than the Miller Daredevil or the, uh, or, or Vince's favorite DG Chichester era. Uh, it's different <laughs> than, uh, it's, it's, it's different than, than when, um, I said he was working on it. It, it but it is still, a, uh, it, it's a fantastic, but Wade, you know, really, as a, uh, I, I say this about some writers, but Wade has a fantastic, he's got a good handle on, on his character and his supporting characters. You know, Foggy feels and sounds real and, and, uh, and I definitely recommend Daredevil. So that's, you know, you have some enjoyable, but somewhat depressing or, or, or disheartening. And and uh, a little bit of a pick me up in my inner travels this week. Nice. You want to read good Chichester? You don't read Daredevil. You read Hell. You read Hellraiser. <laughs> okay, of course. He, he yes, because he did great work on it. Well, no doubt. Yes, Chichester did great work. Oh, on shit. Dick. Well, I'll see just how my co-host dropped the ball here. Um, in your travels. Make sure you go pick up Tokyo Ghost. The first. That's a given. What do you mean it's a given? It's a given. There are a couple million comic book readers. Are they going to pre, are, are, have a couple million issues been pre, pre-ordered? They should be. After this, mm-hmm. after the interview airs, maybe. Alright, that's you see, true. You see that Remender name on it and you don't pre-order it? And the Sean Murphy. Beautiful. And the Sean Murphy, but. Yes, but, but that's, that's not my real in your travels. That's just a reminder to go that's ahead safe. and support the creator who, uh, who was just gracing us with his presence. But, uh, speaking of creators who have graced our presence, in your travels, especially if you're listening to this the day it's released, after you're done listening to me talk and you're done listening to David say goodnight, David, click off the iPhone or iPad, iPod, whatever you're listening to. Or the galaxy. Head down to your LCS. <laughs> galaxy. <laughs> Don't dump on my shit, dude. Come on. It's not funny anymore. It's oh not God. funny. <laughs> yes, if you're in Kazakhstan or Reading, PA, and you have a galaxy, click it off. Reading? What? Or not Reading. <laughs> not Scranton. Scranton. <laughs> apologies. Apologies. Um, <laughs> it's all the same. <laughs> Um, oh, that's boy. cool. I know. 
You lost me here. I'm losing myself here. Um, head on down to your LCS if you haven't already pre-ordered and buy yourself the first trade paperback of the Invisible Republic. Yes. Co-written, co-created by our good friends and power couple, Gabriel Hardman and Karina Becco. Illustrated by one half of that power couple, Mr. Gabriel Hardman. We have talked about this book on several occasions, but as a reminder, uh, there's a reporter named Kroger Babs, and he heads to a moon called Avalon, basically to, to write a story uh, about a, uh, a a dead dictator named Arthur McBride and uh, and how that dictator came to power. In the process, he he really is getting nowhere, and he come he comes across a diary written by the dictator's cousin Maya about his rise to power, and we we bounce back and forth from. Um, from the, from the history of, of the, of McBride's rise and his cousin's involvement to the modern, uh, day storyline. And it's masterfully done. It's masterfully drawn. It's wonderfully paced. And, um, I dare say it's, uh, at least to, to date their career work. So if you haven't been reading any issues, first of all, shame on you, but you're forgiven if you go ahead and buy the trade paperback. Yes. Agreed. Illustrated by the less attractive. Member of the company. Well, Avi. Toad's yeah. Avi. Toad's Avi. Seriously. But a hell of a guy. Nonetheless. No doubt. Yes. He can't be pretty and be that talented. Have we, anyway. uh, have we heard if they're going to be in New York this year? I believe they will be. Okay. Good. Nice. Well, hey, as usual, I would like to thank everybody that did good by us and ponied up with the iTunes review because you pushed that person down <laughs> a lot on the list. You know when, and you, I, and give, I, when you give mention to it though, you're just giving them power, right? I know. Yeah, I know. It's kind of like Jesus. <laughs> but, uh... So, Dude, you cannot say I that when I, have a, a when I have a mouthful of seltzer in my mouth. So, so thank you for doing that. Thank you for being here with us. We would not have been able to do it without you. And as always... If you enjoyed what you heard this episode, please come back next episode. We would love to have you. Most um, David really would love to have you because um, he's lonely, you know. Well, um, the other six it, nights of the week when I'm not talking to you guys, yeah. Oh, that's true. Right. And we have another right. special treat for you next week. It's amazing. It's a fun time. Exciting time. It's like Halloween early. <laughs> and we're very, <laughs> very pleased to share it with you. So, as always, David... Vince, say good night, David. Good night, David. I thought I'd give you an easy one. Yeah, it was a layup. It's it's been a hard week. He's good with the layups. It's true. Three pointers, not so good. That's true. You see how I did that? Like I pretend to know anything about basketball. Maybe if my time management was better. Oh, gets to reading. Self deprecating. Ah, that's why I've been reading many comics this week, folks. Always oh, funny. Right. Bye. Peace. Peace. Love you. Call me. Call Vince.
You've reached the remainders. Leave a message after the beep. We'll get back to you.